Hey, real quick, if you're a return listener and you love low-value mail as much as I love doing it, please just do me a solid, leave a rating, leave a review. It really does help. All right, on to the show. What up, queens? And I say that with a heavy heart, calling anybody a queen after learning of the, I mean, I don't actually give a shit, but I guess the queen, queen of England died. Who are you, the fucking queen of England? It was a good burn. Remember that burn? Anyways, welcome everybody to the female dating strategy low value stream on this day. What do we got? I'm doing this for because people are like, what are you doing the day for? It's for history. For history's sake, we're putting the days. It's Thursday, August 8th at 12 p.m. Thank you for all the scrotes, the negative value men, the low value men. And I guess if we have any high-value listeners, this tiny sliver of you that exist in the world, thank you for joining uh, today. So we'll get started. I don't know. Has the queen died yet? I, I, I saw some stuff from people were like, the queen's about to die. And it's sad. Well, it's not sad. Who gives a shit? But Because these women call each other queens, um, which is very timely. Today's episode, by the way, if anybody wants low-value mail t-shirts, they are finally available. I, I think there should be a link in the thing where you can just, I think if you just hover over the screen now, you should be able to just get to see the link there. Um, anyways, or you can just go to lowvaluemail.com. I know it says there's only black ones, but there's white ones too. Just go to the website, lowvaluemail.com. Get a t-shirt. They're limited... Uh, 250 of each color, and then I'm never making them ever again. So if you want one, you can get one. Also, if you want to support the show, join the channel. We have new emojis. I don't know if that counts for anything, if anybody cares, but I added some new emojis here. Um, There's JJ's head in a jar. There's Al Bundy, no ma'am, in a mask. There's a balls. Look at this. Balls. And of course, uh, I'm going to give away a channel membership where we hit 100 likes. Anyways, let's get to it. No more dicking around. We're here for one thing and one thing only is the Female Dating Strategy Podcast. Lyle Chipperson in the chat, by the way, said uh, before we started, he, uh, oh, I, I I can't see it, but he said that a friend of one of these ladies who knows her IRL in real life posted some big thing on Reddit. So if Lyle can find the link, we will cover it. We'll cover it up. Um, can I get a Woe Bundy? Can I get a Woe Bundy? Dan said, can I get a Woe Bundy? We got a Woe Bundy. Let's go. And this episode is a actually interesting one because I have, I have a bit of a theory that, about this. But so episode one. We'll start this on regular, like always, we'll start it on regular speed, and then when we can't take enough of these hens clucking, we'll fucking engage the phasers, put it in a hyperspeed. But it's how FDS can help autistic queens navigate relationships. How FDS can help autistic queens navigate relationships. Female Dating Strategy, episode 12. Let's go. Also, if there's any sound issues, if because I suck at I, I'm mixing my own thing, so and I got a board and I'm, there's too much going on. If there's sound issues, just put them in the chat and I'll adjust them.
She might have needed mental help, though. I, I have this thing right now where, because, you know, forever, not forever, but, like, women, men called women crazy for a while, and the women were definitely, like, not in a power position, and, the, and then they were, like, you know, they just kind of took it. And then, but it's understood that women are crazy, right? Like, even women are like, yeah, we're crazy. Like, if you catch them and kind of off guard or whatever in some sort of candid moment, they're like, yeah, we're, we're all nuts. We're all crazy. I mean, everybody is, right? But women are crazy. And then now with the gaslighting thing is if you call them crazy, you're gaslighting them. They uh, they made up this new term called gaslighting, which and then they made, they go gaslighting is abuse. So calling a woman crazy, which is, that's gaslighting to say that women aren't crazy. You're gaslighting us. Whoa, tell me how you really feel. Oh, hold on. Damn it. We already have some tech issues. No audio from the podcast. Of course, there's always something. Uh, Give me one second here, and I'll fix it. See, it worked when I started. I need a fucking producer. God damn it. All right. Well. Well, hold on. I didn't know. Oh, weird that you guys can't hear it because it actually is coming up on my thingy, my bobber. Um, All right. Well, this is how it goes. This is how it goes when you're doing it all yourself. Uh, Without hearing FDS, it's still funny. Thank you. But now I don't know why... And, oh, here, there's the chat box. Got the chat box back. Oh, I know what's going on. I am an idiot. Okay, take two. Without further ado, this should work. Episode 12 of the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, How FDS Can Help Autistic Queens Navigate Relationships. All right, so we have our very first queen shit from our Patreon Woo. subscriber, uh, Hanope. And she wants to share with us a success story. One year ago, I was in the middle of divorcing a low-value male. He was abusive and manipulative. He cheated, and when I spoke up about it, he tried to manipulate my family against me and convince them that I'm imagining things and that I needed mental help. That was it for me. I asked for a divorce shortly after. During the divorce, the emotional abuse got worse. He actually ended up sending me a list of everything that is wrong with me, how he thinks I'm a failure, and that I won't be going anywhere in life. This 34-years-old unemployed prick with no degree or career prospects actually sat down in his parents' house and typed out a list of reasons why I'm a failure. The nerve of these people. I mean, I don't know know if it's just me, but it's always the unemployed guys who have absolutely no prospects that tend to be the most abusive and just try try the hardest to bring you down. Because he knows that she's better than him, and so he's sending her a list of everything that's quote-unquote wrong with her because he wants her to feel as bad. He wants her to feel bad about herself. Yes, I mean, obviously, exactly. He's hurt that he is a scrote. And that she's leveling up, and so he says stuff to hurt her. That's pretty textbook uh, hurt feelings. So that he behavior. can control her more easily. It's like abuse 101. Yeah, yeah. it's fucked up. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe we even had a, a thread on that about uh, how sometimes the guys at the bottom of the social hierarchy feel more desperate to dominate women because they have no other power in their life. So yeah. it's just all yeah. desperation. Um, so to continue, uh, she says, meanwhile, I landed a high paying job and was already planning to move to another continent. 
Exactly one month after after the divorce, I a little flex. A year later today, I'm in my late twenties, living my best life. I got my dream job, an amazing apartment. I can afford nice things in life, and I met amazing people and traveled quite a bit. I've never been happier. Yes, queen. Yes. Yes. Wait, is she thanking the female dating strategy Reddit? I mean, I guess there are. I guess these some women are just settling, but I mean, also. Guys, I mean, everybody just settles. And then I guess some people settle because it's one of those things where you never know, right? You settle because you go, well, what if I don't find someone better than this? It, it, it's kind of like you have FOMO. It's it's this weird, f- f- like, kind of FOMO. Like yes, that. queen. Yes. We celebrate your level up. And she says, thank you, ladies, for everything you do. FDS helped me process my trauma and played a huge part in me becoming the confident woman I am today. Yes, so queen. So much, yeah. Awesome. That makes me happy. I'm smiling so much. That's just, that's made my week. Oh, I'm smiling so much. That's yeah. like, <laughs> for, for all the shit we put up as moderators, it's those kinds of stories that make me that go like, oh my gosh, it. that makes it worth it. <laughs> that just makes it worth it. It's amazing. 100%. It's amazing. 100%. So congrats to you. Congrats to you. Kudos to you. So that was our queen shit. If you'd like queen to submit your own, uh, story of your own level up, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. Oh, and you no. can sign up for one of our tiers and submit your story. And we will uh, select one every one or two every week as part of a raffle. And we'll read I will be signing up for the Patreon for the female dating strategy soon. It's interesting too. So they have, I was looking at it yesterday. I'm going to sign up because they have bonus content. And then I think I'm going to cover their bonus content on my Patreon for some sort of inception like Patreon coverage thing but they have a tier that's $9 for women and it's and then all the same stuff but then there's like a tier specifically for the men who hate them <laughs> it's $10 but it doesn't give you access to the Discord so I'm going to get my girlfriend to sign up uh on my behalf so that I can get into the Discord cuz the Discord we know some crazy shit's going on in that Discord read it on air thank you and check us out What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Ro. And this is Lilith. And we have two very special guests today who are going to talk to us about what it's like to date with autism and how FDS has helped them manage the dating world. I will say this. I have this, this another theory that women are some of the most undiagnosed in the like the realm of autism because like if you're uh attractive woman like nobody cares that you can't make eye contact with people they're just like yeah whatever she's she's bashful or something there was something it's like if you're attractive and you have a mild autism they're just and like nobody cares expectations between men and women so we have our first guest uh, who is artemis artemis hi, hi artemis and <laughs> that real name is artemis and our second guest is Dana. Hi, is that the Dana. villain from Wild Wild West? So just to kind of kick things What's going on here? Wait, they have live guests here? What? Off, I, you know, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, okay, I'll start. So I was diagnosed with autism at 29. Yep. And that started a self-discovery process that really helped me a lot. Really understanding. Literally just listening to her. I'd be like, yeah, I could have saved you the whole diagnosis my problems and then last year i was browsing reddit and one of the posts from fds made the front line um, from reddit um it was being dissed i think people were like making fun of it or something so i was like oh what is this and then 
I was blown out because it was amazing and it really, really, really helped me. Hi there, I'm Artemis. Um, I found FTS through a couple of my friends that uh, we were, you know, looking for a centered, women-centered, empowered um, online space. I love being um, empowered, by the way. Know, we, in, in our friendships, we help each other grow and encourage each other to be the best version of ourselves. And, you know, we found that FDS does that and, you know, encourages us to love ourselves and yeah, they love do. other women. And, you know, I, I really was drawn to it um, initially by that and, um, and found that, you know, in being autistic, it, it helped me navigate dating and navigate the world a little better and navigate... Man, I'm really wanting to know what kind of advice these chicks have because these chicks don't really strike me as autistic, actually. The the hosts. Relationships. Um, it's really been helpful. This flat affect is usually a pretty dead giveaway of some some bit of autism. That, you know, autistic women have. You know, you maybe this one is related to to dating. So, you know, since I'm. I started out doing this, like, modding stuff, being a little bit ignorant about autism. Can we maybe start out by going over what autism is and what are some of the misconceptions about by autism? By the way, these chicks are fucking um, killing me. Um, I did killing me with the fact that they, they're never going to figure out their levels. By the way, they have, more, they have more than triple the amount of patrons as me. What kind of fucking world are we living in? I didn't realize when we started writing about like having clear boundaries that it would it would be of such value of, with autistic women and i remember that we got a post and i believe it's in the handbook where uh, an autistic person was discussing the fact that without uh clear guidelines and boundaries sometimes it's very very easy all right that's as long as i could go we're going one and a quarter speed i couldn't do it that's i got five minutes manipulate autistic people because they have difficulty picking up on social clues is that true to your experience or let me let me just start by saying like what autism is so it you can kind of get an overall um so autism is, isn't a disease it's not like there's anything wrong with us there's a lot of misconceptions about what it is and 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 um it's like a mac versus a pc it's just a different operating system for the brain macs are better at some things and worse at others and the world is set up for a pc that right? is such an autistic answer go hey, it's like uh, imagine if your brain is like a mac or a pc the world has PCs everywhere, and occasionally you'll find a Mac. Um, so uh, one in 68 people are diagnosed with autism, and it's basically when you're developing um, in childhood, there's something in the brain called synaptic pruning, and that's when like a neuron will go to another neuron. Right? Oh, I didn't realize we were talking to a scientist. One pathway. <laughs> and so when you, as a neurotypical person, hear a reference to something, you connect that one thing to the one thing. Well, with autism, we don't prune all of those synaptic connections. So it's like a tree, and it can go many different ways. So sometimes we need a clear path to the way that the neurotypical person is seeing the thing that we are seeing. Um, so, like, for instance... Holy uh, snooze fest! Like, We're not, are we listening to an autism podcast, or are we listening to a dating podcast? You know, Netflix and chill. Like, now everybody knows the Netflix and chill news hook up. But autistic people, like, when you ask us to come over and watch a movie, like, we literally thought... We literally thought we were going to watch Netflix and stand in a freezer. We were coming over to watch a movie. So we're a little more naive. Sis, I got to tell you, we all did. Well... We all did at first. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the guys who invented Netflix and chilling. Wink. But, you know, I mean, that's... So we're much more easily taken advantage of. We can't, like, protect ourselves. 
So it's like, okay, so... You're talking about autistic women or just women? Now that memes came out telling us what Netflix and show is, we know what it is and we can build our, you know, social interactions around that. Like, we can say, hey, like... I don't know if I want a Netflix and show with you, but, you know, we can do this instead, you know. So uh, there's, I think FGS really helps um, get, like, get a a set of guidelines that we can follow um, to make sure that we're not being taken advantage of. Um, So does it kind of help lubricate? It's like a nice little date checklist that you can just mid-date pull out and be like, just wanted to make sure I'm not going to take advantage of. Check. Check. Yes, I'll have some more wine. Check. Certain types of social interactions or more bring more clarity. It absolutely can. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the things are with autism, like we have a lot of experiences and we, within human experience, um, we kind of build little boxes that people put things in, right? And an autistic person just organizes those boxes differently. So we need to have a more direct, uh, like direct communication, direct. Um, you know, a lot of people think that we, that we're really blunt and we're really rude. And when we're just trying to communicate, we're not as soft with our language sometimes. So we can come off offensively when we don't mean to. Um, it's, it's definitely the, the biggest issue sometimes with us is communicating with neurotypical people on both ends. Because we don't know what they're saying. And then they sometimes will form. A oh, whoops. What did I just do? Oh God. I press something. Why didn't this just expand like this? Um, sorry about that. Uh, I apologize for the loud laughing. I don't have a fucking producer. Context around what we're saying when we're really just meaning what we're saying, literally. Um, so um, the uh, one thing I also wanted to mention, like, you know, there's different, a lot of people say there's like high functioning autism and low functioning autism, but that's not really how the spectrum works. It's um, just tell me how many matches are in the goddamn box. It's, it's like, when you have a sound bar and there are different, there's a bass and there's treble and there's all of these different things. And it's not that, that things get higher or lower. Um, things can get higher or lower than average, right? Like, so some people think autistic people don't have empathy, but really autistic people have. Let me make a good point. There is a whole show called love on the spectrum. We don't need this. We all know about autism. A lot of empathy sometimes or no empathy sometimes. Um, it's not, you know, some people are nonverbal. Some people like me are very verbal. We don't shut up. (laughs) So a lot of people have this like concept of what they think autism is, but that's really, it's really based around boys. It's based around boy children that, um, present in a certain way. And that's often not, not what it actually is. Yeah. Because if a guy can't make eye contact with a woman and he's fucking awkward, he can't make eye contact with people. He's not socialized. Well, he's going to be single for life. Whereas a woman who gives a shit? She could have every negative trait that a guy has that will make him single for life. I knew this guy. I'm not going to name names. In Toronto, he was like a highly functioning autistic guy, but he was clearly autistic. You talked to him, and you knew something was was wrong with him. The moment you talked to him, you're just like, there's something really off about this guy. But he looked, not only looked normal... He was a very handsome guy, like very, very, he had like this like really like chiseled, defined jaw. And he would tell me all the time. I knew him in like open my comedy. And so he was on dating apps because he lived with his parents, but he was like 40. He lived with his parents because I don't think, I think he could live on his own. He wasn't like he drove, he could live on his own, but he just like, I guess the whatever 
autistic part about him, just like felt comfort with that, and he just wanted to live at home, whatever. So, and he would go on all these dates, and he would get tons of dates on the apps because he managed to fool the women because they're like, this guy's super attractive. He he has a job, all this stuff, right? And he, he has a really like you know he's, he's fit, he's he's good looking guy. And then they would get on a date, and he would never get past the first date. Never. He could never get past the first date because they would talk to him and go like, oh, what is going on here? This guy's way out there. Just like he's so weird. And uh, he was a really nice guy. I really liked him. But he just like had this autism, right? Whereas a woman, if she's like that, they go like, yeah, but you're hot. Who who gives a shit? I don't, you know, guys will deal with that. So, yeah, could you tell me more about how autistic men and autistic women present differently? And then maybe further, why do you think so much emphasis has been put on boys rather than how it affects girls? Yeah, um, the differences actually in the post by an autistic woman that is on the FDS um, handbook, she mentions that the typical interests of autistic boys tend to be like transport, like trains. That's a very typical one. They're obsessed with trains and with organizing them or other non... So that's it? You're only autistic if you're obsessed with trains? Social interests in boys. What year is this from? Like, 30s? For example. So trains and mathematics, they are two very clear ones. And then women like things that are considered stereotypically feminine. Like they they might like dolls or animals. So every woman's autistic. They might what? love celebrities. So people Celebrity worship is autism? Oh, get the fuck out of here. That this girl is actually not developing the same way as the other girls are. Because her interests are so typically feminine that everybody just assumes, ah, she's just a normal girl. And yes, nobody really picks correct. up on the other cues, on the other stuff that's going on. Is it something that presents in extremes? Because I would think for little boys, too, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't necessarily be atypical for them to be interested in math or trains. Is it just like a, is it that they're interest, interested in these things to the exclusion of other things? Yeah, exactly. You make a very good point and a very good question. So the reason people really pick up on it on, on, with boys is that they see that they reject social interaction in favor of the trains, the math, or whatever it is they're... I mean, how many women are just, like, glued to their phone watching Kardashian shit and reject social interaction, too? special interest is. So that would be the thing that really makes people notice. The boy refusing social contact um, to be with their special interest. So with girls, because so much of our social conditioning is around being social, I would almost think it would show up quicker for girls, but I guess not because people think it like playing with dolls or being obsessed with celebrities because those are people or representations of people that must mean that they are good at social interaction or they're learning proper social interaction yeah and also if a girl i mean i feel like if you're 30 and you're obsessed with dolls yeah there you go that's a big red flag herself in a corner playing with her dolls for some reason that doesn't raise alarms in people especially not just parents but also like teachers it is funny, though, that, like, the men's autistic stuff is, like, useful. You're like, yeah, we're going like, to be a train conductor. Women's like, yeah, I just like celebrities. Or other education professionals that see dolls. that. Oh, the girl is just being a girl, being in a corner, quiet, playing with dolls. But also, women are a lot better at masking, and they don't stim as much. So men, so stimming is a really big part of autism. When uh, somebody shakes their leg or when they're flapping their hands around or doing things like that, it's a, a big way that an autistic person can calm down. And the reason we need to calm down often is that because we don't have that synaptic pruning, the sensory stimuli is very overwhelming for us. I didn't so, realize I was going to be learning so much about autism. So women do stimming in other ways that are, is not outwardly presenting like males or um, male children are, are do. So, like, you'll see... Um, a kid sometimes even screaming and you know that is a really big off-putting thing to some people and um, they'll try to get their kid diagnosed but um, the other thing 
you know, there's something called masking. So women are much better at masking. And basically what that means is we copy people's behavior. Sometimes we don't know why you do something. We just do it to fit in and because we saw you do it. So that's, we learn Women are so much better at learning social signals and copying them. I might have to put these autistic chicks on fucking 1.5 speed. To look like a typical person when we're maybe not. Yeah, and that's actually one of the main reasons why autistic women burn out, because they have to mask all the time. And that means, like, playing a role. Like, you're in a, in a theatrical play, and whenever you step out of home, you step into this character who looks into other people's eyes. Uh, some serial killer shit right there. Who talks like other people talk. But that's, that doesn't come natural to us, or at least to most of us, or many of us. And so we have to act. So whenever I am going to do or say something, a part of my mind has already pre-rehearsed it before. So it, it, it isn't quick. It isn't natural. It, it doesn't flow. That is the masking, and it becomes really exhausting. But it's a trap, because women become so good at it that people just don't believe it. Like, what? You don't look autistic. I'm like, duh, because I mask and it becomes exhausting. Yeah. And is this also why autistic women tend to be um, diagnosed much later? Like, Holy shit, this is boring. Is this a skip? That they have autism. Oh, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't want this episode great. to be a skip, but fuck, this it's is boring. Get to get like the dicks and stuff. Doctors don't know how to properly diagnose a woman. <laughs> if insurance will pay for it, you're incredibly lucky. I was 35 when I got diagnosed. It, you know, I'm, it was this year. It's, it was a really wow. hard journey for me. Holy shit, the so, sound just, on this like, is terrible. Like, click into place. Was it was it a relief when you found out or was it like, oh no, this is something I, I guess if you've been dealing with it your whole life, you would kind of have already put together some coping mechanisms. Did is this like a process of you unlearning things or are you learning new things or how does this work if you if you get diagnosed at this point in your life? Francis, you're at the dentist. Well, for me, you know, I about, you know it's it's really silly because I saw a bunch of memes from like an autistic page that one of my friends would share and they would all really click for me. And Is I this a skip? why I had so much trouble with certain things. And then, so I started looking into it and I... Should I just skip forward? Exactly to a T. And then, you know, I, I thought like maybe I was a little bit, you know, a little bit, you know, on on a little bit of the spectrum. And then it just, one day it just all clicked and I I went to get evaluated and, I, you know, I talked with more people. I, I, have, I actually have a disease called Ehlers-Danlos and, and dysautonomia. And a lot of people with the disease have um, autistic characteristics and have autism spectrum disorder as well. So um, it was something that once I saw that research, you know, I, I thought I should get evaluated. And, and now the research says a lot of people have both. So once you have that information, what do you, what do you do with it? Like, do you change anything in your life? Or you yes, sort of, get to this just part. Sort of comforting to kind of understand yourself a little bit better. I imagine there's a lot more writing and resources now for you to kind of understand how your own mind works. But is there anything that you're practicing now that you didn't before now that you learned your diagnosis? For me, definitely. For me, the main thing, um, so I've been diagnosed for about three years, a bit more. And the main thing that changed for me was giving myself permission to do the things that I need to do to dress the way I need to dress. So, for example, I've given myself permission to just wear tracksuits. There you go. I go to work, I just get a nicer tracksuit. <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, You're wearing tracksuits to work? I wear tracksuits because what I do you do? the physical sensations of tight clothing and the, your typical feminine clothing, which is also why a lot of Wait, I hate girls... Imagine if you were a dude trying to pull that off. You're like, you work at some fucking hedge fund and you're like the math guy. And you go like, yeah, I'm, uh, I don't want to wear a suit. I don't like the feeling. And they go, yeah, how about you're fired? Tend to be tomboys because the... She wears tracksuits every day? Was she Tony Soprano? Um, girly clothing is usually more uncomfortable. So that's one of the things. And also just giving <laughs> myself permission to 
rest when I need to rest, give myself permission to not go outside if I really feel that it's not a good idea to say no to a lot of things. And this ties to, for me, a big thing after my diagnosis, which is grieving what I thought my life would be like. When I was a kid, I thought that I would be an adult who would have a lot of friends, who would go out a lot, who would have a busy job and who would do lots of things. Right now, I realize I do not have the energy for that. I get burned out really quickly. I cannot connect to people. It's, it's just not doable. So I've said goodbye to that ideal life dark. that I was going to have. So that's that was dark. For me. So grieving. Grieving her life. As well. And that's why I... I don't really consider autism for me to be just a different thing. I, for me, it really is a social disability because I really feel disabled socially because I don't have the same energy. I don't have the same ability to just feel good with other people. Mm-hmm. So those are, the, uh, those are the things for me after my diagnosis. She just needs drugs. Honestly, the issue she's describing here, just she needs stimulants. When you've, when you've had positive or connective interactions with people, what has it typically been like? Is it usually when you're engaged in doing something? Is it like a particular topic that you feel more connected with people? Is there any anything that you recall in your life where you're like, I actually feel like I'm having a good social interaction or a good connection? And what was that like for you? For me, it's like right now, because right now the interactions that we're having are framed within a specific, a specific uh, situation with specific requirements. I know what's expected of me. I know how the situation is going to go. So things like right now or when I'm at work, when I know what I have to do, what I can expect from other people. So really structured interactions work very well for me. That makes sense as to why FDS would appeal to autistic people, because we do kind of structure social what? interactions in a way that's not typically done with dating i think sometimes yeah you're kind of tuning your own horn here i don't know if uh, that's true you look at popular culture they have this anything goes mentality and uh you know it's all about communication but for people for whom that's very very difficult and even for people who don't have autism (laughs) these interactions are just fraught with a lot of miscommunication that leaves a person open for exploitation misunderstandings negative social interaction because a lot of times people don't know what's expected of them right obviously we're firm believers of FDS, but I feel I wanted to make that point because I feel like some of our critics who attack us for having gender roles don't understand that the structure actually does benefit a lot of people if we set expectations up front for ourselves and for the people that we interact with. I love how they're retroactively being like, yeah, this is why we started this whole thing, just for all you autistic queens out there. With, and then start to normalize certain interactions and communicate those interactions um, to, make our, to make our social interactions as smooth as possible and create, I think, a safe space for us to have a good dating experience. People get mad at us for how, quote unquote, structured we are, right? Like, um, modern dating culture is so, even for people that aren't autistic, I struggle with it. It's so, like, wishy-washy, like, oh, just one day at a time, just go with the flow. You know, oh, I don't want to put a label on our relationship. That kind of stuff, right? I hate, guys hate putting labels on the relationship because they just want to fuck. I can't do that. <laughs> so I need, to, I need to have them in a box. I either, either need to have them in the friend box or in the maybe we'll be more than friends. Oh, the autistic girl likes organization. Who would have known? Box or that we are more than friends box because otherwise I don't know how, I don't know whether I need to flirt with them. I don't know. I don't know how to interact with them at all. If I don't know what we are. Engage flirtation sequence. And if they want to just be friends, then they get mad at me when I'm not flirting. And I'm like, well, you wanted to just be friends. But they don't really mean that. And they'll get upset about the idea of the friend zone, right? Like they'll get mad at women for like, oh, they put they they don't consider me dating material. They put me in the friend zone, or you know, they they've put me in this box. But like sometimes that's necessary to make sense of the world that we live in. Not everything can just be this 
postmodern wishy-washy words don't have any definitions kind of nonsense. Yeah, but men put themselves in the friend zone. I mean, they they if they're if they're not taking us out on dates and if that sounds like, like victim. Long- that sounds like victim blaming. Us, then why would we be anything more than friends with them? Facts, because because they're Facts. they're using you know to use an often used phrase in our subreddit. By the way, I forgot about the bingo again. I'm working on it, guys. I'm working to on women it. Women being like emotional sponges and mommy mates. so they kind of think that a friend means that you do all of the performative feminine labor that a woman would normally give a boyfriend. And so they've, you know, with those lines being blurred, men have started to expect more and more from women while giving less and less commitment or uh, they're more noncommittal in the way they interact with women, but still expect and have learned, have become accustomed to women still giving them all the perks of being in a relationship without actually being in a relationship. I think another thing that FDS does is, you know, FDS is full of really empowered, smart, beautiful women. And, um, you know, is that true, though? Is it? encouraging us to be better at the things we want to be better at and supporting us through that is, is really huge. Um, a lot of women are intimidating on FDS to men. Um, you know, a, a lot of autistic women, were very smart. We, we can talk about anything. We're information sponges. We can speak to any topic. And when a man brings up a topic that they think we're going to be dumb and not know how to have an hour long discussion. Speak to any topic. I feel like if a guy was saying that, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're just an expert in every topic on and then they just get intimidated when we know more than they do i absolutely love that so much i'm just imagining you have a conversation with a guy who's mansplaining something you're literally an expert in and you just tear him to show i have to say i believe we're in episode 12 i could be wrong and we skipped a bit but i think that's the first uh instance of the term mansplaining being used i wish i had a button where i could press it and the studio and confetti just came down but i don't shreds i don't know why but that's a mental image that really excites me it's really fun. I'm a molecular biologist, and when guys try to bring up COVID or science, and then they, they try to tell me something that's so way off, not even close to being true, and then I explain everything around it. I mean, that's a really simple example, but it's just men want, oftentimes they think they know everything about everything, and then when a woman can actually speak intelligently to something, they just crawl in a little hole, and instead of being attracted to that, actually my current partner is very attracted to that and loves it, and that's why we get along so well. Oh, that's so awesome, yeah. Yeah, obviously you got to find someone, if you got some dudes into sports and you start talking about molecular biology he's like yeah i ain't into this with men like that it's because they always feel like they have to be better than the woman to like maintain the upper hand rather than interact with women if you have any friends in any capacity just platonically you should at least have some friends that just know more about anything than you do right (laughs) because they always say like you're a reflection of the five people you hang around the most so i would love to hang around people that know things that i don't so that you know they could rub (laughs) off on me and i would think a person who isn't I'm not getting sick, by the way. I just have allergies. Actually, give me one second here. Hold on. Talk about yourselves. Interested in interacting with a person rather than dominating a person would appreciate when that happens. But that's why we weed those guys out because, you know, yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. And the hardest thing I think with dating is like sometimes you're having two different conversations with somebody. Like, did you guys see that Key and Peele sketch where um, they're texting each other and they're having completely different conversations? Like one of them says, you want to go? Like you want to go to the bar? And the other one's like, you want to go? Yeah, I don't know. I just have allergies. I'm not I'm not getting sick. Actually, I don't think I'm getting sick. Maybe I got the fucking go. He thinks you're reading it like you want to fight. And, you know, since we don't have the same body language and tone in our voice as a normal person, or as an, I'm sorry, I don't even want to use the word normal, as a non-autistic person does, um, sometimes we're read differently than we intend. Um, so it's communication is, is really difficult. So tell me, do you have any stories like that about, you know, cases where, you know, you're in a relationship and you were saying one thing, the other person was saying one thing and you just were not. Dude, if I was doing Coke breaks at fucking 1230 in the afternoon, oh, that would be dark. Not getting each other or just speaking at each other and not, not understanding one another. 
countless. I mean, so many. I mean, it's usually the opposite in that I'm very direct and they don't believe what I'm saying is the truth because they're looking for some hidden context that isn't there. They're looking for, you know, like if, if I ask, you know, if somebody asks, what's your favorite thing? I'm like, well, what is he asking for? Is he trying to take me to dinner? Is he trying to like, why is he asking this? So what I, is he asking? Engage sequence. I have to know how to answer it. And it, a non-autistic person will know what these questions mean when a person asks them. And when I ask a question, I'm literally asking what I'm asking. And I, I don't want you to dance around the point. I don't want anything more. I'm trying to figure out that very specific information so that I can frame whatever I need to frame around it. See, I'm the same way, but I'm not. I, obviously, I'm. is neurotypical an appropriate word to use? Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm the same way, but even as a more neurotypical person, but I have found the way that my mind works, I'm a person that just likes to organize information uh, a certain way. So I've, I've had to really work on my tone of voice because I, I mean, does everybody not have that? Is that just everybody likes to organize information the way they like to organize it? I've been tone policed before as well. Whoa, nobody should be tone policing. Frustrating, I think to a person who's like that, who is already neurotypical, but I can't imagine like to the nth degree when you're dealing with legitimate social uh, cognitive differences between a person who is used to women emoting and used to women like having, I don't know. I don't even want to say women always having hidden agendas or anything, but just like used to women, like women never have hidden, hidden, hidden agendas. Never. By the way, get, let's get to a hundred likes. We got 98 viewers, 48 likes, and I'll give away a channel membership. Giving them more emotional um, uh, reaction behind their words. How incredibly frustrating that can be. So I, I'm just saying that to say I sympathize because I, you know, I, I, just, just you know, in my normal interactions and the way that I've interacted with men, they'll they'll say they'll say things like, "Oh, you're intimidating," or "You're to the point," or uh, they'll they'll try to dress it up and be like, "Oh, you're masculine if you don't naturally emote." Ro, you're so intimidating. By the way, this is Ro, I think. Um, and to the point where I actually started to kind of train myself to have a little bit more of a uh, feminine sounding, sing songy voice when I when I wanted to, but it's like, you know, it's something I I worked on just ah yes, the art of manipulation to make my social interactions better, but. I can't, you know, if it's something that's just not in your repertoire, you know, I, I can imagine that would lead to a lot of uh, difficult social interactions with men who are used to women doing that. Literally just find an autistic dude. If you're like autistic and you're really leaning into like, hey, I have autism. There's so many dudes out there who are also autistic, who are fine, like normal people for the most part, but just share your autism and you guys can both not ever look at each other. So just now kind of reminded me of this like, you know the whole red pill thing where um, it's, they say like overcoming last minute resistance where, oh, you know, even if she wants to have sex with you, she'll pretend like she. First does. off, that's a sales tactic. That is like literally that's a sales tactic that has just been that works. It's a psychological thing that they just figured out works on women as doesn't, well because she doesn't want to seem like she's a slut. And so if you're with her and you're kissing or whatever and she's pushing you away, she doesn't actually mean it. She, deep down, she actually wants it, but she's just pretending. I mean, but sometimes, yes, that is one of the biggest conundrums ever with the whole Me Too thing is that guys like my whole childhood and, you know, adolescence or whatever, it was kind of understood that, like, you know, women play hard to get. And then you need to like pursue women because they specifically play hard to get to not come off as sluts. And then I think guys took that a little too far and they didn't know they didn't they couldn't differentiate when no did in fact mean no. Because sometimes, unfortunately, no does mean yes. Thing like she doesn't so that you don't think badly of her or whatever. Right. Yes. So when you come and, and this is this sort of. Mentality. It's not just a red bill thing. It's surprisingly, a lot of guys seem to have that mentality of like, oh, she's yes, because it was like socialized that way, like all in 
you know, television, film, like everything. It was like that was understood that that's how it was. She wants it. She secretly wants it. They just they feel entitled to women's emotional engagement. I think that's what it is. So then when you don't give it to them, they feel like you robbed them of something. <laughs> or they just feel like we're not into them. Like I could tell a guy a million times I'm into him. I can text him all day. But if I'm not doing very specific things that all of the other women that have done, you know, to, to show their interest, then apparently I'm not interested enough. And then they reject me before I can reject them. And then I tell them, no, look, I'm really into you. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I really didn't think you were. I'm like, but I've told you and I've showed you. And I, I don't know. I am very into you. Accept my emotions. What else I can do? I'm just not doing it in the way that you're used to. Yeah, I was thinking. Because yeah, he's used to getting his fucking balls drained. Um thinking of is more cases where the woman isn't into him and the guy like that that's the weird thing about men that i even i don't understand is like when you act no. like you're into them bro you understand everything about men come on i think you're not into them and then when you act like you're not into them they think that you're into them it's very confusing yeah and it's, yeah because again socialization a guy has to show you a guy can tell me all day you know that they're into me but if their actions don't match their words it just doesn't fit right in that box for me like it has to be you know a full you know it has to be very God, I'm sure you guys would prefer to not have to play these games, but the world is not like that. Direct and very clear um, without being too wishy-washy. And that's really FGS approved, right? Because if, if they feel lukewarm or wishy-washy, like, why would, we, why would we waste our time if, like, you're with a guy for a year and he still doesn't know what he wants? And it's like, well, you know me. You know who I am. You know, you know, you, you, maybe you're not ready for some reason, but then I need to move on if, if that's, you know, if that's the case. Personally, I think men confuse themselves because they project how they feel onto us. And I think a lot of the times it's just it's just projection. And I, <laughs> there's nothing else we do at FDS is to kind of say just really, really depersonalize the way that men interact because they do so much projecting of their own emotions. And women never project, ever. And onto women, especially if they're interested, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's how they get the audacity. They have to, in the back of their mind, believe, oh, all these women out here secretly want me. I just have to go up over there and show them the man that I am. And they're going to run into my arms, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, t women with autism tend to become fixated on helping their partner versus attending to their own needs. And we end up with the opposite types of men that are needy and that take advantage of our giving and caring culture. So FDS teaches us, like, what pikmishas are and to be able to stand up for our needs and to know what, our, you know, help evaluate what our needs are. That's that's so important is being able to know what your needs are. So I, I having a space like this, I think, to have women just articulate. What happened to the other co-hosts? Just how are they feel, even if it's like negative or Wait, Savannah. positive and it's isn't like the accent. best, most, you know, thought out idea, but just really, truly emote so that you can identify what your needs are at a most primal level. I feel like that's got to be really valuable. Eventually going out into the world when you interact with men, if you already have a place where you can just have that free feeling, you can then build the tools to negotiate that with a man that you're dating rather than just like always starting from a place of compromise because you you start performing femininity rather than. Uh, performing and emoting in a way that's true and genuine to your needs. Yeah, FDS really, really helped me with that, with giving myself permission to learn and identify the needs that I hadn't really identified before, the needs that I just didn't even look at because I was too busy performing something for the enjoyment of some low-value men. Ooh. And also another thing that FDS really gave me, that's something that I'm very grateful for, is a narrative where men aren't automatically good because in in life <laughs> what narrative was that i'm sorry where what narrative the the conversations the media that i consumed and the conversations i encountered people are always assuming the best of every single man he may 
What? What? He break all of your plans. He may destroy everything you love. He may kill your pet or sleep in a nest, whatever. But he's just a great guy. <laughs> he's just convinced <laughs> he's a little bit. What? What media is portraying this message? You so you saw that post with the guy who literally slept in a nest in his bedroom? I couldn't, yeah, like... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in my life, this was like a breakthrough, like like a Buddhist enlightenment moment for me. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it. I'm saying it like that, but it really meant something as big as that for me. Because then I could start doubting men. Because this is the thing with many autistic people. We love rules because rules make sense out of the We love of rules. Life. So people tell me men are good, and I will believe that, even against my own better job no men are trash even against my own eyes seeing what the man is doing so i would i was so good at mental gymnastics to excuse everything men did to me and fds comes into my life and they're like no no excuses if he wanted to he would and all of these ladies and all of these examples so i was like okay men aren't really that good i think i'm being lied to so I could really nah. stop men taking advantage of me and that has given me so much life force so much healing so much so i'm a lesbian now it sounds so kind of new agey and silly to say these words but really it it was um undoing a lot of damage it's validating yeah yeah it's validating yeah. And, it, and it makes you trust your own judgment a little bit more exactly right especially since i think you're used to questioning your own judgment all the time because of uh having autism so yeah, and, and it's and it's so funny when I hear you guys say these things because I, I felt this way too, and I know a lot of other women who are more neurotypical have felt this way, but I guess it's just a matter of the degrees of it. And it's not true that there's entirely no rules because as we've discussed before, like we've crossed them and we've gotten really dragged by the media. <laughs> we're, we're saying things like, you know, even silly things like, oh, well, we don't want to date guys with a small penis like our last episode was about. <laughs> but like, oh yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, it does feel very oppressive and like just confusing to say there's no rules but then you keep hitting hitting up against these hidden rules and that's something i think is happening to women all the time regardless of their of their uh cognitive ability but you know it's like autistic people are, are seen by autism speaks as this plague on society that will be single forever like something like 98 percent of autistic people never find a partner so we're told to settle for less and fds teaches us that we deserve wait what hold on sorry i was i gotta re re replay that i'm sorry but like, oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it does feel very oppressive and like just confusing to say there's no rules. But then you keep hitting hitting up against these hidden rules. And that's something I think is happening to women all the time, regardless of their of their uh, cognitive ability. But, you know, it's like autistic people are, are seen by Autism Speaks as this plague on society that will be single what? forever. Like something like 98 percent of autistic people never find a partner. 98 percent of autistic people never find a partner. And those 98 percent are all men. I guarantee you there's very few, maybe not all men. I don't want to say not all men because not all men, but that's pretty much all men. So we're told to settle for less. And FDS it's not about you. It's not the women. Teaches us that we deserve more than that. We deserve what we want in a relationship and a partner that respects us and loves us. And we deserve love just like everybody else does. We are not some plague that needs to be wiped from society. So one, one of the things I've noticed in the difference between the way it seems to present to me from women to men is that for women, this, they know they need to have the social interactions and they think they think about uh, the face to face interpersonal part. But what I've noticed, I guess, from the insults on, on, on Reddit, it seems to be more like they want to impress women. So they try to they don't try to interact as much as they try to, like, almost show their competence, if that makes sense. And then sometimes that comes across awkward to people. Is that am I 
going anywhere with that? I think a lot of men... By the way, I'm sorry for being gross and blowing my nose, but I, my allergies are acting up. ...that are autistic, like, try to look for ways to connect and things to do, and they fall in with the pickup artists that are telling them what to do, and those are not the people that they should be listening to, and they don't know that. They think that these people, they're getting brainwashed into thinking that these are the social skills to copy, and then they do those things, and then they come across as awful men, when really, they're these, this is them trying. This is them trying to... To, to follow the social behaviors that, they, that they're being taught are right and they just don't know. And that, that doesn't make it any less harmful to women. But I, I have, you know, I think sometimes those are the men that we need to have the conversations with to say, like, look, I, I know this is hard for you and you're struggling, but you can't listen to them. Like, this is not what women want. And, you know, I... I okay, if there's one thing I know is that women do not know what they want. That, that's the problem is it's a moving goalpost always. That's why it's hard. I think it's it's important to know that, like, that does it, like intent and... The outcome, it doesn't matter. Sometimes if, if you're going to... Intent does matter. ...harm somebody, the outcome matters. I mean, obviously, if you kill someone... ...than the intent. But I do think that a lot of times the intent to do good and to connect is there. Yeah. Okay, so that, that makes sense to me. And, and that actually kind of tracks with how the red pill came out of the gamer culture as well, is that it was a lot of men who retreated into gaming because they just were not good at social interactions offline and really got on these message boards. And then over time, they realized like, oh, I was using like the seduction mystery pickup artist stuff and it didn't work. So then Red Pill comes with this rubric of uh, rules and ideas that they can follow to get women. And there's not really like an alternative. Like go to the gym, make money. ...out there for men. There's no structure. And in the absence of structure, they created this incredibly toxic community, which is now wreaking havoc on any yeah. on everybody and making everybody miserable. And that's the thing. When, when all of these men got together, what they created was like the most toxic um, iteration of patriarchy that you can imagine. I think this just shows the importance of having some kind of guide to social interactions. <laughs> it doesn't have to yes. be like strict gender roles, but like without them, then there's so much like bitterness and unmet expectations on both sides. Right. And I think that the virtue signaling when it's not accurate, both betrays us as women, but also gives men the wrong idea about how to interact with us rather than us being honest. If anything, again, there's no rules. You act like there's rules where there's just here. Here's a rule book and all settled, but it doesn't work that FDS way. is very honest. And though we get lambasted for it, I feel like I would rather them think we're mean, but have a more accurate understanding of how women experience the world. Because I think the guys, the, the men who have good intentions and actually want to improve their relationships, we have gotten so much feedback from them and being like, I finally understand some of the points that my you know, ex-girlfriend, ex-wife or my current wife is making that they may not have understood before because they didn't have the context or she was hinting at it or they just couldn't see the bird's eye view of how women experience the world. So, you know, I'm just saying that, like, you know, regardless of, you know, there's there's good people and there's bad people. And I don't I don't think an autistic person is any different. There's good people on both sides. Different. But uh, I Very do think fine. it's important uh, to then have a series of social expectations so that you can uh, smooth out your social interactions, not create um, a bunch of um, bitterness over unmet. How niche is this topic, by the way? How many people are really benefiting women-wise? Because so many women have just learned to manage their autism. Unmet expectations of both sides. Um, weed out the people that are bad, right? Because there are going to be people that are bad. Um, and also just not waste your time. I think the biggest expectation that we have is direct communication. So when you were talking about like hints and people giving hints, I think it's really hard for an autistic person to be like, oh, that means that they want me to do this. Um, and it's it's a, the biggest accommodation, I guess, that people can give us is really as direct communication as possible. And when we communicate- Yeah, women love just you being direct and very frank, just telling exactly how it is. Directly to believe what we are saying. Definitely, yeah. 
No, that, that's. <laughs> I'm all for direct communication. Sixty-nine likes. Nice. I'm one hundred percent in agreement with that. Um, but the reason why I wanted to make this episode in the first place was to sort of explore the sort of interaction between. What are the other two fucking hosts just taking a day off? What is going on? How patriarchy and the rules that patriarchy sets out. Really dominating this episode there, Ro. Interacts with autism because what Stenna said earlier about how people can, you know, autistic people can pick up on the general rules. And then when those rules aren't met, it creates resentment. It's important to remember that the rules for men and the rules for women under patriarchy are completely different. And that's why I think it's not, how do I say this? It's not that like, autism creates a certain type of man or autism creates a certain type of woman. It's that people with this condition existing in a patriarchal world are going to oh, shut up. experience it differently simply by being male versus female, right? Obviously. Could there not be a more obvious statement that, yeah, men and women are different? Yeah, Is that what you're getting at? I read uh, statistics about autistic women being more likely to experience sexual abuse or to have unwanted sexual encounters. And that's why I think FDS is so, so important is to help women, especially all women, including autistic women, is to cut through these bullshit cultural narratives. I'll say this right now. Like, uh, maybe that's true, that statistic, but 90-something percent of actual, like, not actual autistic women, but people who would, like, be diagnosed today, which is pretty wide net, are undiagnosed. you know, tell women, you know, not to have standards or that tell women that you have to lower your standards to put, and put up with a low value man if you want, you know, love or shout out to the low value just man. the general idea that men are good and trustworthy because they're generally not. Yeah, it's, it's a re- generally not. Imagine living your life that way where you just think all men are generally not good and trustworthy. Framing of society. I mean, FDS is flat out like a reframing. That's of- just a shitty way to live your life. Even it's not true, obviously, but just man, what a crappy way to go about life. A lot of these issues surrounding us by looking at it through the lens of what is our actual risk? What is our reward? You know, how can we uh, maximize the things that are highly rewarding and minimize the things that are highly risky but low rewarding and uh, create a strategy from there? So it's not necessarily like the typical like feminism is just about equality or feminism is just about like being the exact same as men. It's more or less like how do we balance our specific needs as women against the wants, I guess, of men, which is mostly wants, right? I feel like when it comes to men, like everything they need is pretty much there. And they have things that they want from us. Whereas I feel like with women, we're constantly negotiating the things that we need. And the downfall of modern feminism has been negotiating the, away the things that we need so that we can give this illusion of sameness with men when we're not. Yeah, exactly. And it's okay to not. Uh-huh. Agreed. Yeah. And, and what, one thing that FDS has created for me is a framework that pretty much um, encompasses the entire world for me. So I feel like I have transitioned from a world oh god these chicks are gonna be insufferable after hearing shit like this where men you gave me a framework for the entire world thanks chicks desires and needs 26 more likes were the priority in my life so for example going back for a second to to the the rules and the way that autistic people or myself specifically um take rules very literally like i expected men to be wonderful to me as long as i was pretty you know if if you're pretty men will be good to you and you will transform a terrible man into Prince Charming. So I believe that. Who told you that? Who told you that? And over and over again, it wouldn't happen. Did you listen to that Princess in the Bum episode? Because yeah. <laughs> it's not you. That's the cultural messaging we get. And yeah. it's trash. It's bad. And it's exactly. not true. We skipped that episode. Sorry to interrupt. Exactly. Yes. No, that's good. That's good. So what FDS has done is um, moved me really, really 
it's FDS was like like a hand from the sky who just like jerked me out of this world made for men in which I am a commodity for men in which I am a project of a mommy bank made and it has put me into a world where I am the center where finally I am the center of my own world and a world where my benefit is what's important because my benefit does not mean someone else being deprived of the rights while the other way around is actually what happened to me that my rights got stepped on just to satisfy some man. So what FDS? Yeah, that was is. I mean, obviously a single instance in your life, but you don't think it goes the other way with that stuff, where guys are in that exact same position with a woman. Really did give me was this new. You know, guys have given up all their dreams because they found a woman who was like, "Yeah, I don't like your dreams, so go get a job and just do what I want." Framework where my safety, my desires, my needs, they are okay to be centered and give, given me tools and strategies to really go about that. And, and that, that has transformed my life probably the same or even more as my autistic diagnosis, which is something I'm really thankful for. And, you know, that's, you, you, ex, you describe the autistic experience so well. Um, you know, our needs are not valid. We are told to stop stimming because it makes other people uncomfortable. ABA is the number one most common treatment for autism, and most autistic people are against it because it basically tells us to sit down, shut up, act like we're supposed to act, and don't make anybody else uncomfortable. What's ABA? And for us to be comfortable in this world, there are certain things that we have to do that may make other people uncomfortable because they're not what the average person does all the time. Can you explain what the ABA is? I'm, I'm sorry, that was an acronym I've never heard. I, I just, let me look at it. Hold on. Just give me two seconds. It's applied behavioral, behavioral um, well, analysis. Well, she looks for the exact up. meaning. I can tell you uh, real quick. Wait, uh, she just said a thing and then she doesn't even know what it is? Explanation. Basically, uh, imagine an autistic little girl. She wants to stim, which means she wants to move her hands in a specific way, flapping or whatever. She wants to move her. It's called go to a rave like the rest of them. Around, and an adult is next to her, forcing her and telling her, no, look at this picture. What is in this picture? There is a duck. T- say duck. Duck. How do we spell duck? No, say duck. No, don't look at that. Look at the picture. What is this? This is a duck. Say it out loud. Say duck. And you see the little girl just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until her own soul is kind of broken and she just does what she's told. That's basically this quote unquote therapy. That is horrifying to me. And that sounds like basically conditioning women to be compliant. And that it's terrifying. Yeah. What's wrong with that? To me. I mean, I imagine it's the same thing for guys, though. Yeah, it sounds for applied behavior analysis. And the goal, it says on Autism Speaks, it says... How did she not know this? She's citing acronyms and she's autistic and she doesn't even know? Decrease behaviors that are helpful and decrease decrease the other types of behaviors. But the behaviors that are helpful to who? The parents of autistic people? The rest of the world? It teaches us that the behaviors that we do to comfort ourselves and to get through everything in life are not okay. And yes, but also, like, the world is a certain way, and it's going to be that way regardless. Maybe it could change over a massive amount of time, but they're probably like, yeah, if you're the kid who's, like, stimming nonstop, your life overall is going to be harder if that's how you just behave because people, you know, are not going to necessarily just be accepting of that. So that is a factor in it, that to make your overall life better, you might have to conform a bit. I don't know. And that's, you know, and, and in women... Society teaches a lot of that, and they don't go through... By the way, I fucking hate society for doing that to women. ...VA as much, um, but still, I mean, society society doing that to us and, and telling us how that we need to act and what we need to do and, and shunning us if we don't, it, it's really difficult. That's, I find that such an interesting example. And we've talked about this before on FDS, how certain concepts created with men in mind, when you apply that to women, it creates either an undesirable or harmful effect for women. 
And so things like therapy for, you know, I, I could have a whole episode just roasting couples therapy, right? Can't wait. Cannot wait. 15 more likes. Let's go. And how the idea of like, oh, you know, you have two people and, you know, they just need to work on their communication. It's under the assumption that both people are like generally like good and are invested in the relationship. But it doesn't really take into account cases of like, say, abuse, for example. Or, you know, if the man go che- goes and cheats and, you know, you're. Do women ever cheat or no? You know, she's upset and it's like, well, what could you have done differently to make your husband not cheat on you? Right. Like so much therapy is just very sexist or just doesn't even consider the specific needs of women. Right. And so this therapy you've described to me, uh, applied behavior. I've never heard therapy is sexist outside of these chicks. So that's something. Was it ABA? Uh, applied behavioral analysis. Yeah. Um, it just sounds to me like it's just basically conditioning women to be compliant like if you do that for a girl you're just teaching her to be compliant and to not meet her own needs i mean it's, it's to everybody and and it's it's really harmful to a lot of people a lot of people in autism groups speak about what they went through as a child and how they had to unlearn all of this to be able to stim and have productive lives and i think it's you know a, a lot of a lot of people in the autism community are, are speaking out against autism speaks and people who promote aba and a, a lot of people that are neurotypical just don't don't hear them they don't you know, they don't want to listen to us about what we need. They just, they want us to fit in with the rest of the world and don't really care about anything else. I can understand from the parents' perspective, maybe they're afraid their kid's going to be bullied or something if they don't fit in. And that's Yeah, like- it's literally all about fitting in. Like, I don't even know what this is. Never even heard of this until now. But obviously, that's what it is, is that it's easier to fit in than to stand out and be like the weird autistic kid for your whole childhood and adult life. Thing. And now, to be clear, I have a lot of sympathy for, I, I, I can understand how hard it is to watch your child suffer, and, and you know, parents definitely need support, but not, not at the risk of, of harming a child. Yeah. Like you said, it's just a different, it's just a different. But there's a trade-off. There's, it could also be equally or more harmful by not doing anything. Operating so, system, and I, I would love to live Like, you think you're going to be the chick who's, like, stimming, and it's going to make your life easier? It no. might make it more comfortable, but it's not going to make it easier. Like normalized, where being an autistic person is just, like... You know, it's not something like it's something that people maybe have more understanding, more compassion about. One thing I want to mention that's important. A lot of people don't realize people with disabilities still are not equal in the U.S. We can't get married like everybody else can. We don't make the same wages as everybody else does. There are literally laws that say. Wait, 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 wait. Is she putting herself in the now disabled category where she's saying that she can't get married? Things And people are very. What? Passionate about racial bias and bias that that makes society unequal but there are still laws against us you don't have to pay us minimum wage you don't have to let us get married um if you if we get that's not you this chick those laws there's a law that this woman can't get married like yes if you are say you know mentally handicapped and you they you know the state doesn't feel like you're able to make decisions for yourself yeah you can't get married then is there something where, like, mildly autistic people can't get married? Married, we can lose any benefits that we have that make up for the, Am I missing the, something? the lack of wages and be able to feed ourselves. I mean, it's really, truly the state of disabled people in America is disgusting. And, you know, dis- disability is not something that it, it, people become disabled. Like, you can't become black one day. You can become disabled. Uh, it's something that I feel like more... Ask Rachel Dolezal or Sean King. People should should have compassion over but they don't they just tip they i feel like they don't care about disabled people they just don't want to hear from us they don't want to see us in wheelchairs they don't want to you know i, I have a wheelchair that i use sometimes i have oh, a pick okay. on. Well, then, well then maybe uh, i stand corrected i guess she's not just autistic and that you know is basically a central iv line and people just look at me like i'm a monster sometimes 
people just don't, I don't know. Our country is so it's, I mean, it's capitalist. So everyone is looked at as exploitable labor instead of as a person. And there's been, you know, depending on which political philosophy or ideology you buy into, there's been a, a, a deep, uh, de-emphasis of community in a lot of ways and the idea that community should incorporate the gifts of everybody. It's, 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 I think it's just a mentality where everybody sees people who can't contribute in the same uh, economic ways as disposable. And I agree, it's really disgusting and it's something I hope that... So I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to sound exhausted, but it's just like, it's something that I just really, really hope that we have a conversation about how are we going to struggle. Are she about to cry? I wonder if I've been thinking that. When do the tears, when does the waterworks start? Start our working life so that people feel valued and contributing and like they're part of a community and not just a widget in the corporate machine. So I, I hear you. <laughs> so I, I remember reading about, they found this uh, Neanderthal oh, here we go. Um, skeleton that had uh, some like broken bones. Like it wouldn't have been able to walk, but it lived to a very old age, like 60 or seven years old. And so they were thinking like, this is very strange. Like it had, this person had broken legs for uh, that healed. That means that someone must have been there to take care of them and to feed them. They wouldn't have been able to like hunt by themselves. And yet this person lived a very long and clearly healthy life based on their bones and stuff. Right. And a lot of, um, I guess it's, is it anthropologists, I guess, talk about how the idea of um, taking care of the sick or people with disabilities is what is what makes human society like human. It is like the defining quality of being a human being. It's what separates us from animals. This is harsh, but like if it, say for example a deer gives birth and they find that their baby can't like walk or whatever, the mama deer will just like leave it. We'll just abandon it. If if um, like in most animals, if a baby is born with any kind of deformity, um, they just like leave it for the predators, right? But that's what makes human beings different. Is we take care of our of those who are maybe born different, right? Um, and include them in our community. And so it's one of the things. Yeah, certainly, like one thing in America is yeah, we suck over here. I think that's been the theme of the of the past couple of weeks. <laughs> Our healthcare is terrible. It's literally yeah. inhumane. <laughs> no, my point, my point about America is inhumane. It's it's the in- opposite of like of community. It's just it's very hard to get. What is it? I think the last census said we had like three hundred fifty million, three hundred sixty million people. So it's very hard to get a country of the size of fifty different states to move in a collective action. And it's just it's um things have to get really bad sometimes before they get better. Sure, but shouldn't we all be for equality though? Like, is the, is the equity even like? I mean, there shouldn't we? There's certain basic things that we should all be fighting for and i feel like the pandemic made a lot of things that we should be fighting for apparently. i don't even know what they're talking about anymore what are they talking but about but it didn't it, it's crazy to me that it didn't make fighting for disabled people which the pandemic is literally causing people to become disabled why are we not focusing on this i just i people people are upset but there's not a lot of people out there in front with solutions and so i, mean, uh, I think there's there's some decent social nets i could be wrong in america well, well, I, I think know. there are, but they're not being listened to. And to be clear, though, autism Facts, is not actually. always a disability. A lot of times it's not. Sometimes it can affect people's, you know, social dynamics and things. But sometimes... Like, it sounds like this girl is disabled, but she's also autistic. But it doesn't sound like autism is her disability. People that are autistic thrive and are, you know, it, it's kind of... It's, a lot of people have evolved to be better in a lot of things. So it's not always a disability. Yes. Like yeah. Rain Man. In some ways, I'd say, I don't know. I, I, feel, I feel like some people, for some people, it's a strength. Like, if they... Um, like you said, it's just a different operating system. Again, when you value people based on only their economic impact or their economic, who they are as an economic unit. You do oh my God, these chicks are getting so boring. So if, if they can't we're almost the done here, by the way. Directly economically measurable, our society teaches them that they're not as important. And I think, yes, the pandemic has caused us all to reevaluate all right. what kind of society we're, li- we're living in. And hopefully um, 
hopefully we see new changes in the future. Yeah, I, if, if that's okay, I just wanted to add a really quick thing. Sure. I spoke to my psychiatrist a couple of days ago, um, a new psychiatrist, first time I saw her, and uh, she was looking at my diagnosis and she was like, oh, okay, you're autistic. And then I talked about a romantic partner and she was like, oh, but you date? This misconception is actually within professionals and it's very deeply entrenched that autistic women or autistic people in general that we don't date. So the, the, well, they what? really need to study us better because a lot <laughs> of us date. And, and I think perhaps it's true that women yeah. might date more than men. I have no idea. But yes, I mean, yes. Autistic women date more than men, obviously. In, really, if, if um, dating as a woman for me, um, it's, it's a matter of how low you're, you accept things to go. You know, like where do you put the bar? If you put the bar really, really low, you can date very easily. If you put, you start moving. That's what I've been up, saying. That's what I've been trying to say. Yes, lower your standards. Uh, going to accept or not. If you only accept high value behavior, for example, you will have a hard time dating, regardless of what. Yeah, that's not just for autistic so you're people. Autistic or not, but just that kind of goes against the whole female dating strategy thing too. So I wanted to say that the misconception is truly, truly common, and for me, it's always a funny one because even my psychiatrist had that idea. Hilarious. Dispelling misconceptions. Here. Yeah, there's one, a couple quick more things. Um, so. A lot of women... Wrap this up, ladies. The main symptom they present with is an eating disorder. And because we're picky eaters, tastes and textures are problematic for us sometimes, and that leads us to not want to eat. Um, people think that we are anorexic. Di people, you know, doctors will diagnose a woman with an eating disorder and then force her into a clinic and literally force feed her foods that make her sensory. And, you know, she just... It's, it's really torture. Really, really torture for these women. Um, I think it's, it's really important to, to, if somebody has, you know, it, it, the, you know, the women listening to this, if your children have eating problems, you know, look into autism as opposed to necessarily an eating disorder. Um, you know, because a lot, interesting. A lot of that is women with autism. I've never heard that before. The biggest harm they have sometimes is sometimes is these inpatient, um, eating disorder clinics and, and the way they, um, the way they go about abusing these these children and even adults. So it's more, so their eating disorder is more about the taste and the feel of the food and not necessarily body image? Yeah, it's not about body image at all. It's not about, you know, eating disorders are usually about control and, and a lot of other things. And in autistic women, you just have to give us food that doesn't repulse us. It's not that hard. You know, it's, it's like if you cook broccoli too much, I get very grossed out. It just needs to be a little al dente, you know? And um, I, I'm very grateful that I've never been diagnosed with an eating disorder and that I had very, you know, loving family and that I, I you know, they would cook the way I wanted. And then, you know, as an adult, I cook for myself, but not everybody has that, you know, experience. And, and I really feel for these women what? who went through these programs and how they, you know, talk about their experiences. It's awful. You know, I have what are they in my mind this like, sense about? of urgency and I'm very alarmed by the amount of like grooming that I'm seeing online uh, on TikTok Hate and grooming. on Reddit and that sort of thing. And I just get the impression that women with autism are way more likely to be, um, to fall prey to this sort of predatory grooming than maybe a neurotypical woman or girl. And so, you know, Ladies, I have this, wrap this uh, up. in my mind, I'm like, we have to do something about this. Like, but you know, what can we do? Like, what, what do you have? Do you have any ideas? Cause I have no idea. And I'm very scared. You're already doing it. FDS, the podcast, the social media. You're doing you're it. Already queen. doing it. You're doing it. Queens. 
I encourage oh, women that think that they might have any of the traits of what we're talking about to go to like Aspie memes and, you know, Reddit, Reddit has a really great thing. And, and basically, if you look at all of those and you're like, oh, this is me, then look at the diagnostic criteria for women. And, you know, I mean, I think like uh, that's how I got, Holy you know, fuck. my eyes were open to this. And what I thought was autism, you know, I thought when I looked at a young boy, that's what autism was. I never knew what it really was in women and, and how it presented. And I mean, I think... A lot of people, if they become educated on it and learn about it, you know, they can learn why they have meltdowns, why they, you know, and then they can know what to avoid. Awesome. Well, I, I think, yeah, we're, we're over time. So let's. let's oh, thank the Lord. That's all I have. This was a really productive discussion. And thank you, ladies. Savannah even here? Thank you very much for having me. And that's our show. Please check out our Twitter at, at FemDatStrike. What happened well to Savannah? Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. All right. That was episode 11. Holy fuck. That was a grind. That was, um, I'm battling here. I'm battling my allergies. Um, shout out to Alejandro for the super chat. He says, Danny, your stamina and willpower is astounding. I feel my soul dying every second. Also, I call my sister Danny. I don't know what that sister jab was about. But all right. We're going to do episode 12. Moving on to episode 12. That's that's my lucky number. Why? Don't worry about it. Episode 12 All right. of the... Oh, my God. We were saying Scrotus. Oh, no. Wait. That was that's episode 13. Where's episode 12? They, these chicks don't even do this in order. That, that's the weirdest thing, too. All right. We're going to kick this segment off. So this is episode 13. Which is called Rotus, Rostus Scrotus Deletus. But that's not. What is the order of this shit? What is going on here? Today's. I don't. Oh, stupid. Before we get started. Sorry, I should have figured this out. Is there no episode 12? Is What's a lot of. Is... What? Let me see if I can just episode 12. How FDS can help... Oh, no. I'm an idiot. That was episode 12. Guys, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling. But that means that we get to do episode 13, Roastus Scrotus Deletus. How an early childhood educator motivates boys. God damn it. That sucks. Hold on a second. This is honestly the beginning of this. I go, that's a funny name title. And then I saw this. I go, that ah, stinks. All right. Well, episode 13 of the female dating strategy. Five more likes. are going to give away a channel membership. And if I kill myself live on air, I apologize because this is grueling. Thank you for joining me, everybody. Subscriber Katie. Hi, Katie. Hey, Katie. So she says, I dated a guy for around a year and a half and into the pandemic, and he sucked. Well, I'm going to guess, though, because you're submitting this story. So <laughs> just getting myself prepared for the suckage, I guess. Uh, I felt this whole... <laughs> I felt this the whole time, but went against my better instincts to follow a plan straight out of the Pick Me Survival Guide and ignore them. Never do that. Anyways, after about a year of low-value male nonsense, including, but not limited to, consistently directly defying my request for ways to act with my belongings... Two, forgetting plans or things I told him and then, tell, then telling me that me saying I told you this in a later conversation was condescending and made him feel bad. And three, not wanting to hang out on our anniversary. I was Whoa. fed up enough with feeling bad. Not wanting to hang out on the anniversary. Coming to terms with ending things. Yeah, those are all legitimate red flags. I mean, 
we, I don't know what it is where men's like men chicks. Like by the way, this is a nightmare. How they are the sound levels are different every episode. All right, we had a hundred likes. I'm going to give away a channel membership in a second. Uh, to you, but when it's something that's important to them, they, they can yeah. remember like when the new Nikes are going to be released, or like when, <laughs> like you know, if it's a year and a half in the future, they can remember the date of like the new Xbox, but they can't remember your birthday that comes every single year. It feels or your anniversary for that matter. Mm. It feels deliberate, right? Guys, oh my gosh, there's. If you can't remember your significant or anybody's birthday, just make a calendar entry and just put it on recurring every year and then boom, with an uh, alert, you know, in advance. And then you don't have to remember it. That's the beauty of technology. It was like this famous argument my parents had where um, my it was dad a famous had argument. five years in a row or something like that. <gasps> no. and, so, and, he, and he, in general, he always forgets right? other, like, he'll Guys. forget the birthday of his own mom and then get mad at my mom for not remembering it for him. Oh. So, yeah, he'll remember, he'll, like, it's, she's expecting Oh, that's a lot of them. Like, she was expecting they're di- And they're divorced now. That explains some things. That does explain some things. Um... Uh, queen, you know, to, queen, to remember all of, queen like, shit. to be his social planner, right? And so there was one day, queen shit. He was like, "Oh, I forgot. Oh, I forgot. Sorry, I just forgot. I'm just busy. You know, I'm stressed out. I have things going on in my life. I forgot." And so one day, she just asked him. She asked him like about some hockey statistics randomly. Oh, oh, that's very Canadian. To remember, like, you know, the amount of like uh, a really specific like hockey detail, like the number of like goals that a certain player scored in a certain year, like ten years ago. <laughs> and so, and then she was like, "I fucking knew it. I know you don't have a memory problem." <laughs> So Busted! Every single time you'd forget anything ever, it'd be like, "Oh yeah, you forgot my birthday, you forgot my anniversary." We can remember fucking like this and this hockey players uh, statistics from ten years ago. Like, yeah. Anyways, he's ranked that as a higher importance than you, and that says a lot about his uh, opinion of you. Yeah, exactly. 100%. That speaks volumes about his priorities. So to continue on, after a very pathetic breakup that he initiated after ignoring me for two days straight. Oh shit! Shout out to Tef Tech Girl Tiff. She got the free. Uh, gift membership. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. I'm going to give away uh, one at 150 likes now. Shout out to Tech Girl Tiff, friend of the show. Let's get back to it. Fly to meet my parents. I know, I know. During which he told me he didn't actually love me. Oof. Whoa. Wow. Okay. I decided I would never, ever be waiting on another Hold text on again. I would never initiate contact or Let's initiate go, contact with this Let's go back here. That speaks volumes about his priorities. So to continue on, after a very pathetic breakup that he initiated after ignoring me for two days straight and just three days before we were supposed to fly to meet my parents. I know, I know. During which he told me he didn't actually love me. Whoa. Wow. Okay. I decided I Tell would never really be on another text of his again. I would never initiate contact with this obvious grope no matter what. I didn't know if I could do it, but I did with flying colors. After a couple of days mourning, I instantly saw this group for what he was. Useless, pointless, a complete hindrance to my life. I had no urge to stalk him on socials, blocked him immediately, and 90% of the time had no urge to contact him ever again. Yes, queen. What's the other 10%? I feel like, where's the other, is the other shoe going to drop? What's the catch? (laughs) There's a little bit more here. Uh, So we didn't speak until a month and a half later when we saw each other again for the first time. And she puts this in quotes at work over a Zoom meeting after which he reached out about exchanging our things. I gave him all his shit the moment we broke up and I wasn't missing whatever he had. So I decided to just ignore him, realizing he did have something I needed. And I wasn't missing whatever he had, so I decided to just ignore him until realizing he actually did have something that I needed. When he was headed over, I told him to leave it on the porch and didn't contact him anymore. Fast forward another month and a half. So there's more. When I received a text from him that said, hey, if this is totally off base and uncalled for, I totally get it, but dot, 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 hit phone, 
question mark quotation. What? What? She says he had a ton of inside jokes, and I remembered this is one of them, and I was shocked. He was reaching out to me. I won. He was trying to become friends again. Ha ha, fuck you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then I remembered hip bone wasn't just any inside joke. That was our code word for ho- hooking up. This groat was texting. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Oh, he wants a little booty call. Scroat City. Was texting me after three months of no contact, other than telling me, other than me telling him to leave my shit on my porch, asking me if I wanted to hook up with him at 8 p.m. on a Saturday. All men have is the audacity. The secondhand embarrassment was overwhelming. Yeah. See, it's never anything good. I don't know how that, I don't know how they're not just ashamed of themselves. Like, do they just not feel any shame whatsoever? <laughs> no. Well, the funny thing is when guys do that, it's, it means that, um, it, it means he's out fishing and he ain't getting any bites, let's just say. Uh, there's no other yeah, nibbles going yeah, on. So well, yeah. guys will go through their yeah. phone contacts and will just like message like 10 women that they used to fuck or whatever and hope that one of them messages them back. So yeah, don't even Pretty, uh, pretty accurate. There are guys, they're on to us. Like don't even give them satisfaction. It's a Hail Mary. You know, when they're not, yeah, when they're not getting bites, like you said, sometimes they just throw one in the air and just see they just they just cast their net just they just go out and cast a wide net see what they can what they can get but uh yeah don't don't be that gullible fish <laughs> coming up to the surface um so anyway i didn't respond for a while and cycled through some different ideas wrote up a couple of paragraphs about how much he sucked then i decided to keep it simple if i wasted my breath telling him how much he fucked me over he would just insist to himself that i misinterpreted the situation so i decided on my response so here she writes uh insert princess gif of queen tiffany new york pollard on her bed righteously scoffing Along with a message that says, LOL, fuck off, dude. I absolutely love New York. She's just, yeah. I love New York. Yeah, yeah. I love New York. So he replies within a minute and says, all right, I'm sorry. And then she says she deleted his text and went to bed. And then the next morning, she gets another text from him that says, I really am sorry. Honestly, the last few months have been pretty difficult with the breakup and quarantine. And I got a little too tipsy and thought that would go over differently. Not a very nice thing to do. It won't happen again. Hope you're doing okay. I just dot, 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 dot. Shall we translate the scrotonese, ladies? (laughs) Scrotenies? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I really am sorry. Why? She says, honestly, the last few months have been pretty difficult with the breakup and quarantine. And she's like, she's going on, like, making fun of this guy. Like, oh, I'm sorry. You've been having a tough time since you dumped me after being a piece of shit boyfriend for a year and a half. Because you uh-huh. were lonely during a pandemic. First of all, this guy does seem like a piece of shit, by the way. Jot me down as who gives a shit. Second of all, you told me you didn't love me, dude. The fact that you are reaching out for my sympathy over your sadness, that you didn't love me enough to keep me, is not my fucking problem. And you need to keep not that... My, smelly, not my fucking problem. ...B.O. away from me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so she, it, it continues from here, and then she says, the last part, uh, I thought it would go responding to him saying, and I thought that would go over differently. She says, this is my favorite part. The last time he really saw or spoke to me was during our breakup. He told me he didn't love me. I did not say the same. I cried. So as far as he knows, I am still sad and lonely and in love with him. So the different way that this was going to go over in his mind was that I would be so broken down and lonely due due to the pandemic and missing his pathetic ass that I would actually act against my own best interest and allow myself to hook up with him, leading to an inevitable situation wherein I have even less of a right to my feelings than I did when he was supposed to act like he loved me. No fucking thanks, dude. You're replaceable. Yeah. Good, Good for her. Good for that queen. Slay queen. Her take at the end that, because uh, it's true that she, he probably thought that she would be all sad. Like she would, pro- he probably thought that she wouldn't move on and that she'd still be sad. Like the last time that he saw her. And so he was thinking, oh, this is going to be an easy lay. Like she'll, she'll just like be crying, you know, running back in my arms, with the slightest bit of attention. So I'm glad she didn't give him yeah. that at least. 
Yeah, she said. She says. So, anyways, I sent him a link to a flashlight. No commentary attached. Oh snap! Auto blows better. I figured he'd get the message perfectly fine. I mean, if he was down that bad, APM drunk booty call to your ex who's way out of your league bad. Then there are options for. I mean, she's not way out of his league. Obviously, he dumped her. Like him, if he wants to fuck so, a hole so badly that he needed to hit up my phone, he could just buy one. Scrote colon roasted. Scrote roasted. I know. Damn. Yeah, she she oh wait, they are just reading her thing. So now they have. This is honestly probably going to be hard to listen to. I apologize. There's some bad roasting coming. I love up. it. Uh, <laughs> XO XO Scrotus Deletus. Oh, maybe this is what the name she wanted to use. Scrotus <laughs> Deletus. At the beginning, let's take out her real name and say this is from our Patreon uh, subscriber called Scrotus Deletus. <laughs> <laughs> It's very good stuff. And she says, yes, at the time of our breakup, he was 28 years old and had not paid taxes in two years. And PPS, in the months since our breakup, I've gotten a new job at my dream company and a dream boss for a 30% pay raise, have taken three cross-country road trips by myself, and am now in the midst of an even more yes, professional please. and personal health success. I don't know much of what he's doing, but I do know he posted on Reddit about balding treatments making a scalp bleed. <laughs> Roastus, scrotus, and deletus. How does she know his Reddit? I guess she knows his Reddit thing. And she's stalking him on Reddit. Healthy? I don't think so. See, God doesn't like ugly. That's why God snatched all his hair follicles off from the back of his head. Every time a has the audacity, God puts his hairline one inch back. <laughs> I'm dead. I'm dead. Oh, my God. All right, so we salute you, Queen, for this epic roast. It's delicious, yeah. And you're level up. <laughs> I hope he breaks his thumbs trying to text you next time. And I hope that the balding treatment fails and he just remains bald. Whoa! Like, uh... I hope Rogaine makes his testicles shrivel up. Honestly, there's nothing more painful about this podcast than this this roasting that they do through their Patreon where they're roasting scrotes. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a thing where, like, if you put Rogaine, some guys will put, like, Rogaine on their genitals and it burns? Like, that's a thing, apparently. Never heard that. Guys, guys, can anybody confirm? Do you just... You want your balls to burn, so then you just put some Rogaine on there. I do remember when I was at summer camp, a kid put Bengay on his nuts, and that was yeah, painful. I, read about that. What? I thought it was supposed to be like DHT blockers, but it also like blocks your testosterone pr- production or something like that. So Why would you want to block your testosterone production? Can make your your testicles shrivel. I don't know. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, the way they giggle like schoolgirls. <laughs> Testicle. No, no need for Rogaine. I hope, I hope sometimes next time he's on a Zoom meeting, the camera gets tilted and people can see that he's not wearing any pants. Bam. Oh, bam. Roasted. You've been roasted, motherfucker. You hear that shit? I hope that the Zoom, the camera tilts down and boom, you're not wearing any pants on your Zoom meeting, even though you're an unemployed scrot and you don't do Zoom meetings. Yes. <laughs> like that Folgers commercial. I hope the next time he tries to hook up with a woman, she says yes. He goes, uh, or she sends him to like somewhere that's two hours away from where she actually lives and blocks him. I actually did that. Oh, shit. I hope you drive two hours away and because she's going to hook up with you and you think you're going to hook up and then you get there and then she just blocks you and you're two hours away from your home with no sex. Yeah, actually. I've done, I've done that, that before. before. <laughs> Like a guy who stood me up and then ghosted me, texted me like months later. So I told him to meet me at a place that was like two hours away and then didn't show up and then blocked him. And then just blocked him. Right, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Taxi when you're outside, block. <laughs> block. They're so fucking desperate and thirsty as fuck. Like they will do anything for sex, right? So you can send him six hours away and he'd probably still do it. Probably go there. That's, <laughs> that's true. It's, it's, it's going to be wasted time 21. It's going to be wasted yeah, time 21. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> we just have 21. 
I hope he gets that flashlight, trips over, and breaks his fucking hip bone. Yes. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> thank you for this Roaster Scrote submission. Oh, so thank you for being you over. Like oh, my God. Any of our listeners, if you would like to submit your own Roaster Scrote, please sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. <laughs> and you can submit your very own Roaster Scrote, queen shit, or Gnosis for us to read aloud on air. Sound good? Yeah. That Roaster Scrote stuff. Some What's of up, queens? Welcome to the What's up, Queens? Strategy, the meanest female-only place on the internet. I'm your host, Ro. And this is Lilith. And today we're going to talk to an early childhood educator. I think this might be the first episode where they're really leaning into the whole, like, specifically, they're now they're the meanest. Peter, Zoe, Eileen. She's going to talk to us a little bit about how gender roles affect male and female children. Yes, that's correct. So... I live in Wellington, New Zealand. I New Zealand. Childcare development for two years, and then I. All right, this is I'm I'm voting on a skip. That was a fun beginning. I'm gonna. This is a, how an early childhood educator uh, motivates boys. I'm already voting for a skip. This sounds so boring. I'm so working in, I think you call them kindergartens. We have childcare facilities for the. If ten people, if ten people write skip, we're skipping. Ages zero to five. That's awesome. So we get this question a lot from parents. A lot of parents, I guess, stumble across our subreddit and are horrified to learn sort of the reality of what the dating world is, what it, what it's like for young people out there. A lot of parents asking, like, how do I protect my daughter? How do I raise my son to be a high value man? How do I how do I raise my son to be? A All right, maybe. Well, let's give it a second. Such a patriarchal culture, right? And so we wanted to. It's a big question, I know. And so I wanted to get your professional opinion on that, Zoe. Yeah, it's a really great question because, you know, in this world, we just have so many All right, that's external forces working against us. And it's the society we're living in is really raising our sons for us to. to All right. Whoops. Fuck. All right. Episode. F- that was episode 13. of. I couldn't listen to two boring episodes in a row like that. All right. We're on. OK, here we go. Dr. Gail Dines. I just want to make a brief announcement. Here's episode 14, Dr. Gail Dines and the Queen's Rage Against the Porn Machine. A little more up our alley. We've been getting tons of amazing feedback from women, and it's become very clear to us that a lot of women are thirsty for this type of content. Yeah, women are thirsty. Media that is desperately needed and has been All right, episode 14. And we really want to be able to make more content. There's just one problem, and that's money. We would love to be able to quit our day jobs and work full-time on content creation, and the only thing holding us back is the fact that we got bills to pay. and start working to posting more bonus much to everyone who listens i'm savannah and this is lilith and to- what's up queens yes, dr gail dine for most of our subbies and people who follow our, our podcast, they'll already know her. She needs no introduction. But for uh, people who may be new, Dr. Gail Dines is a professor emerita at Wheelock College in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, also the founder of Culture Reframed and also the author of Pornland, How Porn Has Hijacked Our Sexuality. Welcome, Gail. Pleasure. Thank you so much. So much. I'm so happy to be here. I always like to talk about pornography. Well, always like to talk about pornography. Pornography. Thank you. Thank you. So I most can't. of our audience is already porn critical, but for our newer audience, um, can you tell us a little bit about your work? Yes, yeah, certainly. So let me tell you why I do this work to start with. I, you know, often those of us who are against pornography get called, you know, anti-sex, sex negative. And I do this because I'm pro-sex and sex positive, And I can't stand to see what pornography has done to sex. So I would begin by saying that if you want to be pro-sex, you have to be anti-porn. You can't be both pro-sex and pro-porn. The two don't go together. So, what you know, I've been doing this for well over 30 years. So there's many aspects of my work. But one of the things that I'm specifically interested in is the way that, you know, pornography as a discourse, as a set of images, 
communities as an industry is reshaping the notion of sexuality, sexual templates, heterosexual behaviors. And we'll talk mainly about heterosexual porn, but I can talk about gay and lesbian porn as well. But I think critically, when you think about the industry, it's mainly made up of heterosexual porn, although we don't really know. Um, the, if the guys were watching it, how they identify, but it's geared to heterosexual men. And it's really, over the last 20 years, since um, the internet became affordable, anonymous, and accessible, oh. the made porn affordable, anonymous, and accessible, it's really driven demand to pornography. And overnight in 2000, we went from sort of soft to middle core to absolute hardcore. It was astounding to watch this change. It was like... It was very, if I, if I could describe one way that I felt uh, watching this change, it was certainly, there was an astonishment, astounding. It was immediately what they call in the industry, gonzo, which um, is really a shorthand for the hardcore porn. So the type of porn you see now for free on Pornhub is the type of porn that, say, just before the internet, you'd have to go to a porn shop, you'd have to be over 18, and you'd have to know somebody who carried such hardcore porn. This has now become mainstream. It's a click away. The average age of first viewing porn studies say around 11, but increasingly we're seeing younger and younger boys. And what's interesting, specifically, I think, for a lot of your listeners, is it used to be, you know, boys would grow up and get a peek at their father or brother's playboy, you know, maybe masturbate to a bit here and there. But basically, you were kind of limited with how much access you had to porn today there is find it in the woods like everybody else no limit and they're immediately catapulted into hardcore you know gone are the days of the centerfold of the you know young white woman bending over with a coy smile in a, in a cornfield it's completely different cornfield and what's interesting and what studies are showing is that men as they kind of develop into adulthood are not leaving porn behind. They're taking it with them into their relationships and it's having a profound effect on relationships. We know that both from anecdotal evidence, but especially peer-reviewed articles as well from multiple disciplines. So everything I'm going to be saying today, you know, that's around this stuff is going to be mainly based in the research because we have so much research on the effects. Amazing. I've done a ton of research into porn and my research is that I like it. Everything that you said there is so validating and so many women have been saying how you know, porn has negatively affected their relationships and lots of guys are telling us that we're crazy or controlling or that, you know, porn is normal and healthy and that if you have a problem with porn, you're anti-sex and like sex negative and all of that stuff. It's coming from men as well as the liberal feminist arm of a lot of mainstream media, um, especially in the States. Uh, we, we've done part of our uh, our media analysis on the way that a lot of times women's magazines and women's media cloaks uh, over-sexualization objectification as feminist empowerment and how that actually a lot of times leads to dissatisfaction in relationships because it's not coming from a true place of expressive sexuality. It's coming from a place of performative sexuality for men and them trying to sell us, you know, products. If I have to hear that fucking word empowerment again, I think I'm going to have to put a feminist fit, honestly. <laughs> I, agree. I, agree. I am so sick of this. We roast that all the time, yeah. Roast those scrotes! <laughs> Let me say, this: the porn industry has a very well-oiled PR machine. When some guy is trying very well oiled if you catch my drift trying to groom you into porn he's getting this from the porn industry right he's not thinking this of himself by the way he's being fed how to groom women in, and girls into porn you know and what will you explain to me what is empowering about going onto a porn set being anally vaginally already pounded away being called a slut a whore a cum dunster and a cunt being ejaculated in the face especially in the eyes maybe getting if you're lucky a small amount of money that image then <laughs> going up onto Pornhub the women never seeing a penny of it and men all over the world jerking off to what was probably one of the worst experiences of your life makes a good point but again they chose to do it I don't know please explain to me how that's empowerment and what's interesting because they choose to do it 
we never talk about male empowerment, we talk about male power. And when men have power, that means they have economic power, legal power, um, social power. For women, our power lies in, you know, full bikini waxes, fucking any man that wants us to fuck him, giving blowjobs. Why did they get... Again, there's a very small subset of women who think this. They're the super liberal ones, and yeah, they think this, and it's nonsense. The real material power. And I've literally seen a woman... At a comedy show at the the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn, straight up, a comic went up. She said that she got an abortion. She got like a round of like a like a standing O. You're like, really? A standing O just because you got an abortion? Ours becomes a pseudo empowerment through becoming disposable sex objects for men. If we want power, we want the same type of power that men have, which is economic, social, and legal power, so that women no longer have to live as a subordinate sex class. Straight facts, of Mike. <laughs> straight facts, in it. <laughs> You mentioned the porn, the porn lobby, and I remember watching this clip with you and Rashida Jones talking about. I would love to hang out in the porn lobby. I think it was Hot Girls Wanted, and you were arguing with this one guy, this old creepy-looking guy who was saying, "Mark Kearns, Mark Kearns, Mark Kearns," and he was saying like, "Most guys don't watch violent porn," which is a Mm -hmm. fucking lie. And so, can you tell me more about what it's like to, you know, what are some of the techniques that they use to sort of gaslight women? What are, what are some things to look out for? Well, the things to look out for is that, well, all the other girls are doing it, what's wrong with you? Uh, girls like this, are you approved? Um, you know, trying to sort of isolate you, somehow you're abnormal, you're different, you're prudish if you don't want to be fucked in the ass by three guys. So, I think it's... What? Whoa, 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 whoa. This is not, again, I don't, I'm not going to speak for all men, but I don't think most guys are like, hey... You're a bit of a prude if me and a couple of the boys uh, can't come over and fuck you in the ass. Really important for women to get a sense of themselves and rather than let these men tell them what to do. You know, we have set the bar so low for what a decent man looks like. You know, if he doesn't beat the shit... Shout out to all you women who are setting the bar low for us men. Thank you. He is a good guy. If he doesn't do this... You know, we need to actually really raise the bar because we're not doing men any favors either by really lowering this bar to such a degree. And I would say if any guy... You're doing the scrotes a favor. ...tries to pressure you into porn or doing porn sex then you have to walk away. You absolutely have to walk away. I used to tell this to my students all the time. You have to close the door and walk away. You can explain the problem. I would wish she's like a fifth grade geography teacher telling their kids that. If he doesn't listen, it's goodbye. You know, I mean... Is this on the tests? How many people of colour would spend their time hanging out with white racists? True. <laughs> you wouldn't. You'd walk away. So why do women spend their time trying to explain to them? I mean, every white person is a racist, so they do. Misogynist, why it doesn't feel good to be a fuck object. You know, we, we, we spend too much of our emotional energy trying to change men who won't be changed. And that doesn't mean to say there's not men out there who actually will have an aha moment and will change their behavior. But for the others, really, this is such emotional energy on women. It's like we wash up after men, we cook after men, we clean up the messes, and now we have to do... Don't forget the emotional labor. The emotional energy of trying to turn them into decent human beings. I say enough. I can I completely agree. That's FDS in a nutshell. That's, that's <laughs> FDS in a nutshell. Because we get criticized all, Go off, queen! all the time for our hardline stance on this. We say if a guy watches porn, he's undateable. Like, break up with him, mm-hmm. block and delete. Like, we, we say, like, you can maybe explain if you want, but you don't have to. It's not your job. Um, and in fact, it's just, like, a waste of energy to try, because most of them will just, like, argue with you and, like, gaslight you. They'll lie. <laughs> they'll lie. They'll, you know, it's, it's a waste of time, right? And so we say all the time, like, oh, just block and delete. Like, just break up with them. And so many people give us shit for that. But that, like... We have a professor here telling us that this is facts. <laughs> yes. Facts. We have a hashtag on our, on our subreddit called Porn Sick Limp Dick, which got a lot of controversy when we posted it because, uh, because in addition to all the things that you just said. Controversy. It's just making a lot of these guys not being able not be able to perform sexually in real life situations because they're oh they're so- all right let's get 40 more likes by the end of this stream and then i'm gonna give away another uh one month channel membership overstimulated 
It's a scrote membership, too. It's not the cheap one. It's a scrote membi. That they can't actually engage with you as a person when you're trying to have sex with them as a real, live, breathing uh, human woman. And that is affecting our relationships directly. Totally. And I usually hear this from us. Big red flag, ladies. If a guy ever refers to you as a real, live, breathing human woman, he is going to wear your fucking skin at some point. All the time. They felt like um, a masturbation facilitator, you know? And what's really interesting. I could use a good one of those. That's a flashlight. And one of the best interviews I ever heard with a guy who used porn and was reflecting on it, he said, porn taught me how to masturbate into a woman. Now, who wants to have sex with someone who's using you as a masturbation facilitator? You know, if porn- I tell you, there are some freaky chicks out there who uh, would like that, especially if you use that terminology. What women want sexually. They're going to be very disappointed if they go to porn. Because, you know, this might be a surprise to some men, but when you stick your penis down her throat, she doesn't have an orgasm, right? The clitoris is not in the throat. Yes. What? <laughs> There's all these messages that come at these guys about what we want. And, and what happens is they, they really do become terrible sex partners because they're clueless. They're focused on getting off as quickly as they can. And, they, and because they think the women in porn like it, by the way, Teach us, ladies. Wait, I've interviewed so many women in porn who've been in porn and they hate it. They hate every single minute. All this interviews you see with women who are in porn, I love my body, I do it. That's when they're in porn. Speak to women once they've left the porn industry. Again, though, this comes back to the agency thing. Nobody is forcing women to be in porn. I mean, I guess there are some instances where there's a criminal element and they are being forced, and that's a different thing. But, like, most of these porn stars or whatever, nobody's forcing them. They chose to do it. Did they make a bad decision? Certainly possible that they made a bad decision, but nobody's forcing them. That's when things change dramatically. And they talk about it felt like rape. It felt like abuse, exploitation. They're not having a good time. And you know what's interesting? The men aren't either. Porn performers don't like doing what they're doing. But what's interesting... Again, I, if you have regrets about things, you're allowed to... That's part of the human existence is doing things you regret. The fact is, is were you forced to do it? Like, again, if you're a guy and you do porn, you go, I regret doing that. You go, yeah. Everybody has regrets in life. It's welcome to being a fucking person is what you are meant to do is emulate porn performers who are actually pretending to have a good time. So what kind of sex is everyone having? You know, sex should be fun, creative. It, you should be the author of your own sexuality. You shouldn't let a bunch of creepy men in L.A., like Mark Kearns, who I was on um, with Rashida Jones. Mark well, Kearns! You really want that, that gross guy to be the determinant of your sexual template. I mean, this is what is so ridiculous. And people have to say to me, you know, um, it's so interesting. People say, if I don't use porn, this is men, what am I going to masturbate to? You know, I say, no, what about your imagination, right? As long as it's not porn-fueled imagination. As long as it's not <laughs> but the other thing I have to say. So to then, what is it? What is the most imagination? Carrying on the food analogy, is porn is to sex what McDonald's is to food. It's the industrialization, commodification, and monetization of a real human desire that is. Whoa, whoa! Now we're shitting on McDonald's. Come on, ladies. Sold back to you and looks nothing like the original desire. So, you know, and then so I would say, if you want to make hamburgers, fine, go home, experiment with different recipes, make hamburgers. But that's very different. Make hamburgers. From supporting a multi-billion dollar fast food industry that is destroying the environment as well as, of course, making everyone fat and want salty food. So what I would say is that let us become the authors of a fun, creative sexuality and let's relegate the porn industries to where they should be, which is the trash heap of the society. Yeah, that was another question that we have because a lot of people have a hard time imagining what a post-porn world would look like and or even if it's possible like so you know could you maybe explain why, uh you know, we why ain't putting the well, uh well we ain't putting the lube back in the bottle if you know what i mean ladies this ain't going anywhere we've had a pre-porn world 
right? That people managed to have, and it wasn't great sex when I was swimming, by the way. We know from the 1950s, you know, it was like kind of lay back and just let it happen. And in England, where you say lay back and think of England, you know, um, why you did this to you. But I think now, given that women are demanding more and more that they are sexual beings who have a right to sexual pleasure, I think a post-porn world would be one in which women were seeing themselves to have a right to pleasure, were not there in the service of men sexually. And this would really make men become more creative because if women wouldn't tolerate what men do, which remember, a post-porn world would require also probably a post-patriarchal world, right? Which is oh, what we so all many buzzwords. dream of and hope for all the time, is that really thinking about what does sex look like that's built on not just relationships, but intimacy, con- consent, connection, um, equality, all of those things. And I'm not saying you have to, you know, have sex with the same person all your life. Or you, you know, you shouldn't experiment. Of course you should. But at least in a way, and, you know, when I was growing up, it was a pre-porn world. And I was thinking about, you know, because I often do this work, what it was like. Everybody, shout out to all the queens on sad news. The queen has died. The queen has died. The queen is dead. Let's, all, let's listen to more porn talk. I grew up in a quite small Jewish community, um, and they were not kind of, they didn't feel perpetrated, boys. They, you felt safe with them. So you really got a chance to sexually experiment in a way that felt safe and connected, and you could then move on to some other guys, but you never felt like you had to perform for the guys. So I hear my students talk all the time, and, you know, most of them don't have orgasms. They don't enjoy sex. All they can think about is, is he enjoying it, and does my stomach look too big in this position, or does my butt look too big? They kind of, they kind of become the external observers to their body as they're having sex. They're just sort of disembodied during sex because they're so concerned they look the right what they look properly they look like they should and that they're performing on him the kind of sex exactly that he wants that he's seen in his in porn so one of the um things that i found when i was just researching your work and looking at the response to it is a lot of the pro i did some research too but it was different research if you catch my drift I mean, I seem to think the answer to this is not to uh, not what you suggested, but to push for more and more, quote unquote, feminist porn. And uh, they they also often denigrate your work as just like, oh, well, she's just an anti-porn feminist and there's not enough evidence to support what she's saying. Oh, she's just a swerve. <laughs> yeah, 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 swerve. Or and, and, and furthermore, I mean, the other difficulties with doing this work is that there's not always a good control group because there's so many men that watch porn. <laughs> so a lot of times when they try to do hard studies on porn, they, they literally cannot. Oh, I did some hard studies on porn. These things just write themselves. I don't I find know. men who have not watched it to use as a control group. So what's your response to that? What kind of research have you seen? Well, first of all, let's get, let's get rid of the feminist porn argument. You can either be a feminist or a pornography. You can't be both. Okay, pornography in its production and consumption is violence against women. And I don't care if you brand yourself a feminist, it doesn't work like that. We have no right to monetize and commodify women's bodies. That's whether you're a pornographer living in LA or whether you're Erica Luss living in Berlin. It's the same thing. So I do not buy this ethical or feminist porn. You cannot take an utterly bankrupt system and think you can make it better. You have no right to be the voyeur of somebody at their most vulnerable, who you do not know. You don't I mean, know it's a her wishes, her wants, her desires, her aspirations, her history, nothing. Why should you have the right of looking at her while you are clothed or semi-clothed and she is at her most vulnerable? Because so she's getting paid for it. There can be such a thing as feminist porn. If you want to make your own images and keep them within your own um, community or your own relationship, that's fine. That's none of my business. But once you start commodifying them and wanting to make a profit, then you become tapped into the mainstream porn industry, whether you like it or not. And it is about the monetization of women's bodies. So no, I do not agree with some of the terms feminist or ethical porn. I think it's an oxymoron. The thing around the third wave feminists, I think what's happened with this pro-porn is that they are actually neoliberals. They were not brought up at a, t- at a time when radical ideas were in the air. They were often born during the Those Reagan era, era or the post-Reagan Thatcher era where, ra- you know, sort of... Um, Reagan's coming up now! 
was the key. So really, I joined a feminism that says, you know what, even if I'm okay, and I have to say, I'm very okay. I've got race privileges, class privileges. I've got a lot of privileges. I'm fine. But if my sister over there is not okay, then I will walk mountains to make her okay. Because you know what? We talked about women's liberation. We, our job is to liberate all women, not just a lucky few who happen to have some privilege. The problem with third wave um, neoliberal feminism, which is more the pro-porn feminism, is if I'm okay and I like it, then fuck you, sister over there. It's your fault. It's not a notion of collective liberation. It's a notion of individual empowerment. And let's be honest, individual empowerment happens to the most privileged of women. It happens to the whitest, most wealthy women with the most choices. So this is why, as a radical feminist, I do not buy into third wave, and I call it faux feminism, because it's not about sisterhood, it's not about liberation, it's not about the collective well-being of women. It's really about individual women and what they're doing. So I think we need to step back a little bit, because this is really part of a wider argument as well as feminism going. And I don't like it where it's going, I have to be honest. Yeah, for sure you don't like it, because they're trying to pretend like they're men, and that's not good for women. No fucking shit. And to call us, you know, swerves like sex works as if we are against women who work in the sex industry. We do this work because we don't want our sisters to be sexually exploited in the sex industry. We're not against them. We see them as our sisters. And By the way, I just tried to add a queen emoji, but I don't think they let you switch them up like that quickly because it's not working so you want to rate a world where women don't have to be sexually exploited as a way to feed their children or to put money or put food on the table so that's a complete ridiculous upside down view of reality so i think ultimately what we have to think about is how do we get young women to really think about pornography prostitution all of these things in a way that is about the collective liberation and well-being of all women and not about just you as an individual that's the hardest and especially the united states which is founded on this notion of individualism and the research let me talk to the research there is over 30 to 40 years of research empirical research from multiple disciplines that show the same thing when you're in social science as in any science you go with the weight of the evidence now i can find you junk science just as i can find you a piece of junk science that says climate change isn't happening you always got some junk science. That's why you need to go with the weight of the evidence. Oh, now we like science, huh? Question, when people argue there is no research, we have longitudinal research now, which shows causation, where they're following boys and they're holding all variables constant except for their use of pornography. And what they're finding is they move... How is that possible? They're lying. Even if they say they're not using pornography, then they're just liars. ...into adulthood is that the more boys view porn, the more likely they are to sexually abuse, the more likely they are to rape, sexually harass, coerce girls into sexting, uh, become themselves... I mean, I feel like it depends what country you do this study in, though. I'm sure there's certain countries where um, we know... Uh, probably the general part of the world. And uh, I'm sure if they don't watch porn... And perpetrators, all these things. And these are actually causation, not correlation. So anyone who argues that there's no research is simply willfully ignoring it or just doesn't know about it. Yeah, we actually get people who say the opposite. They'll say like, well, the research says that porn is amazing and healthy. And we even had one feminist we were arguing with, quote-unquote feminist, who was saying that quote unquote the feminist. sex offender registry is anti-feminist and that if you're a good feminist, you should be like a, a pro-abolishing the concept of the sex offender registry and we'll all right that's a 4chan troll there's no way there's a lot of feminists who are like we need to abolish the sex offender registry point to junk science to quote-unquote prove that so like they've lost the plot like basically <laughs> they lost the plot like help us out like how do we respond to these crazy it's, people it's really- well let's just talk about the sex offender there are some people on there who shouldn't be i have to say right sometimes it, it's this two jeffrey of- epstein among others bill clinton prince andrew shout out to prince andrew going through a tough time sorry buddy why not for example girls who sexed young girls who sexed to um who were under 18 um sexed to other 
people can be called sex offenders because they're sending child pornography. Oh, yeah, so, so we found like one. Be on the sex no. Oh, so it's like, not we, so crazy after all then, huh? The argument is like, if there's problems with the sex offender registry, we should change it or reform it. And that's not right. abolish, not abolish it. Exactly. Not abolish yeah. it. Yeah, not abolish it. Though that's a wacko argument. You know, why bother? I would say to that person, you know what? You send me the evidence to read this. Instead of me fighting with you, first send me, and I often do this when I, people argue with me, I say, you know what? If you disagree with me, send me the um, links to the studies. Let me read them and I'll get back to you. Of course, I never get any emails and links and anything like that. But that's what, don't, don't spend your time defending it. Ask for the studies. So you can read them and assess them yourself. <laughs> and believe me, you won't have to read any studies because no one will send you any. Most of them just send us like a YouTube link to some idiot talking. Oh, well, that's really scientific. That's really a robust science for your YouTube, you know. Professor Dines, I had a question um, because... In my dating travels, I've come across men who are somewhat in denial about the extent of their porn addiction. They'll say, oh, I only watch it a little bit or I'll watch it when, you know, my wife's out of town or when she's on her period or stuff like that. Do you think there she's is... She's on her a period. That's a, I've never heard that one. I go, yeah, I just watch it when my girl's on a rag. ...as, um, you know, porn in moderation. Yes. No, we know that not all men who use porn are addicts, right? That's That we certainly know. Not all the men! The question becomes, not are all men addicts, because that's an easy answer, no. It's can you masturbate to porn on a song, you know, once, twice a week or whatever, and come away unchanged? That's the issue, and the answer is no. You cannot. The porn is such a thud to the body. Just think about what's engaged in the body. Cognitive, emotional, the limbic system, your dopamine releases. I mean, when you are masturbating and um, orgasming to porn, it is an incredible shift in sexual templates, in the way that your neurons fire and white, in the way that you develop ideas and attitudes. You cannot walk away unchanged from porn. Will you walk away a predator, a rapist? Probably not, right? Probably not. If you're not using it regularly or they've not got other issues going on. But you By the way, she is right. Obviously, like and I think every guy knows it. If you watch just like porn a lot, it's yeah. Will be changed not good. in a very profound way. And the question that these men have to ask themselves is really, is this who you want to be? And this is very interesting, you know, because I lecture in many universities. And what's so interesting is I get at the front row these guys who come in ready to do battle. You can see, you know, that there's this smoldering kind of rage coming off from them as I come on the stage. They're, they're sitting there. It's the no fappers. They got all that energy from no fapping to go uh, fucking battle you. I mean, their feet up, the baseball caps turn backward. And, and really baseball they're ready caps. To, and then they think, you know, what can this middle aged woman, what the fuck has she got to say about me and porn? What does she know? And what happens is very interesting because I'm on the stage and I'm above so I can see. And you know what? Within 10 minutes of me talking, if they could reach out and touch me, they would. It's like at last somebody is saying, I'm not a vile, disgusting pig for using porn. Because I say, you know, you are victims of this industry. They are out to get you. They are out to turn you into life support systems for erect penises. And I believe you are worth more. In fact, wait, you know she's what? saying that the guys are the victims? Are men's best friends. We all believe men are worth more than the pornographers say. Otherwise, we wouldn't do this work. And at the end, these guys are lining up, some of them in tears, begging me to get them resources to get off pornography. So. Never happened. That has never happened where guys come to fight her and then afterwards they're in tears being like, how do I not watch porn? You know, I, I have to believe doing this work that these men, and it's very interesting because I show porn in my talks, just stills, not films, but what happens when men uh, and boys are aroused and masturbating to porn, they're not in any position to do a robust deconstruction of the text that they're masturbating to. You understand? They want to get off, and they want to get off as quickly as possible. So Whoa, what the fuck? Robust when I show the images of porn and read the text, this is probably the first time these guys <laughs> have ever looked at the porn they're masturbating to without an erection. And it, it really disturbs them. Because when I explain what goes on in porn, 
and they know they've been masturbating to this. They shift. It's, oh, my God, is this what I've been looking at? And I remember one guy saying, you know, sometimes after he's, mas- he's come to the porn, he's masturbated to it, and he ejaculates, he said, um, I look at what I was masturbating off to, and I think, oh, my God, it's gross. So I think on many ways, this is doing a job on men as well. This is doing a number on men. And, again, I want to say to all the men listening, feminists are your best friends. If we did not believe in your capacity for humanity, we'd all go and live in a cave or go off to a desert island together and leave you away. We don't. We do this work because we do believe, not all, by the way, there are guys who need to be dropped into a desert island and left to fight it out with each other. (laughs) I do say that. Ah, preach. Take all the rapists. Preach! Take all the murderers and abusers. Put them on an island. They can duke it out. Yeah, yeah, let them go and do to each other. Leave us alone. Just leave us in the chat. All right, let's get 31 more likes before the end of this episode. I'll give away another channel membership. Children around as well. But, you know, and I have to say the, the most humbling experience of my radical feminist life, because I had it really down when I was in 1920. Women were good and men were bad. It was very simple. Obviously. Then, you know what happened when, it, when I was 25? It all got fucked up because I gave birth to a boy. And suddenly, my dichotomous thinking didn't hold up because why? The nah, it's still true. Men are trash. In the world was this little boy who was born with every capacity for love and humanity and intimacy. Aww. And I'm happy to say his first. <laughs> no, was, he's a piece of shit. He's a boy. Feminism, so he's still like that in his thirties. Okay, so it is possible. He is, he's, he's, he's astounding. I mean, he sees things. He sees misogyny before I do because his first language was. Um, and would you like me to tell you a story about? Yes, we love to see it. So let let me give you some hope out there. So when he was at university, um, he was in town with some friends for a drink, and he found out we were going to a strip club. And he turned back and went back to his dorm room. And I said to him, you know, why did you do this? And I thought I was going to get the mom violence against women, blah, blah, blah. You know what he said to me, which really was so profound. He said to me, you know what, mom? He said, I've only got this one body to live in. And I don't think I could have stood to live in this one body if I would have taken part in exploiting a woman. And I thought, that's it. I think you're not, I mean, again, with the strip club, a lot of times they're exploiting you. This is a transaction. Now, I guess if you're saying sex is this thing that can only go one way, but like, you're trying to tell me some girl goes and fucking like shakes her ass for two hours and then goes home with $2,000 and she's being exploited? You want the moral compass to come from them. And he had internalized a moral compass of feminism as a male. Not he wasn't giving his mum's lecture here. He was telling me how he felt. So it is possible. Do not tell me men are not capable of this. And I've been married to the same guy for like three hundred years, and he's the most pro-feminist man I've ever seen as well. Yeah, so well what is he not going to be? Good men. I believe in that. Which is not to say there's a lot of terrible men out there that women should avoid, right? Because they've been socialised by this patriarchal system to be misogynist. And some you will not bring back, but some you might. We hope so. Anyway, that's the job of fe- one of the jobs of feminism. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that, um, Professor Dines, because I think a lot of um, the hate we get towards the female dating strategy as well is that we hate men and that. We- I mean, you guys do you gals do hate men you know we want them all to die and it's sort of Oof. it doesn't make sense because why would we have why would we talk about dating them if we want them to die like <laughs> you're not dating them <laughs> yeah, an oxymoron, that, doing it? a lot more talking about them dying and a lot less dating if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah exactly so thank you so much for saying that um because you yeah you put that in 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 you know, such a good way and it's nice to know that that men aren't completely irredeemable well we couldn't live with that you know what we, we we couldn't stand to believe that because where would we go from there as, as activists That's and feminists true. it would be over you know uh, you start a podcast and not and i don't think we should be nice to them right we're not yes <laughs> i don't think we should be nice to them i agree with that <laughs> no we're not asking for our liberation here we are demanding it and we will do whatever it takes to get it right we're not yeah like die alone 
please, you know, pretty please here, please free us and liberate us. No, we are going to take it. So you better make sure that you shape up as men, because really, you don't want it to get nasty that we have to fight to the degree that we're ready to fight. And could you tell us more, Professor Dyes, about um, feminist parenting? Because we get a lot of flack saying that, like, we get people accusing us of being, uh, like, child abusers to our sons, saying, like, I guess when they, uh, they think of feminist parenting, they just think of, like, a bunch of women standing in a circle around a boy yelling, like, shame, shame, you shame, yourself. you should hate I yourself, hate you. men are evil. Like, For shame. Low value boy. You're a low value boy. You're going to grow up to be a low value man. So ridiculous. We also believe we had an episode. We just recorded an episode yesterday, actually, with the early childhood ed- educator um, talking about like how to raise feminist boys. And so I was wondering, if, you know, what do you have to add to that idea? Like, how did you go about raising your son to be a feminist? Well, first Skip of all, that was, episode. Um, my husband and I doing it together yeah. because very important that he see he had the role model of a man who is pro-feminist, right? Because, I mean, you can't, when you're battling with them, if you're in heterosexual and you're with a man and you're battling with how to raise a son in a feminist way, that is going to cause a shitload of problems. So how we did it was, first of all, no great lectures. The last thing kids want are great lectures, right, to be lectured at. So one of the things we did, it was just from a very early age, just we introduced words like sexism, misogyny. So my son would come home at four complaining that his friend had been sexist today and he had to say something. And then well, that he would know these concepts. Another time I walked in on him and he's watching, um, this is like five years old, and he's watching National Geographic and he's pointing at the television and he's shaking his head. I said, what's the matter? He said, they keep saying man and his environment what about women and their environment so i mean these were things he recognized so uh, so what we did was just used he sounds like a fun time he would have been a fun guy to bring to the strip club huh moments so we'd be driving and best that was not or he didn't get a real invite to the strip club that's for sure no way boys just in the car or biking because fate eye to eye doesn't always work so we would be driving i say oh look at that picture what's wrong he go oh it's really sexist look at how her body looks she's got no clothes on or something like that and then we would talk about his body so as a joke one day he came home and said something like you know like the little boys get obsessed with their penis in patriarchy. So say, I'm going to put my, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to put my penis over there because it's so big, big. And I said, listen, honey, you know what? I said, your penis is connected to your beautiful head and your beautiful heart. So you can't make any decisions about your penis because it's always connected to your head and your heart. So you're all one beautiful body. What? So just little things like that and then move on to a snack. Not a whole lecture, right? Then other times he'd come home and say things like he wanted to go with his friends to see those, you know, horrible summer blockbuster movies where a white man saves the world. You can't make your... They're not. Uh, you ever heard of a guy named Will Smith? Kid an outlier. So we would let he would go, and then but we had an agreement in the family that within two days of him going, we had to have a discussion about the movie. Holy so, shit! This chick is fucking such a drag. You gotta go to a movie and have a discussion about come it. Home and say, okay, so what do you think? could have happened before it turned into a gunfight. What other ways do you think they could have come to some agreement? No way this chick sucks this much where this is what the life is. And then we deconstruct movies together. So then when he was 12 and 13, you know, because you've only got till they're about 10 or 11, they think you're the smartest person in the world. And around 11 or 12, you're the the biggest idiot that ever walked the earth. So you've got a front row. So then he'd go to the movies... And this is down with his friends. Tell him movies. Discuss it. And he'd come home and I'd say, how was the movie? You know, it was one of those awful at that time, Bruce Willis movies or Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he'd say, it was really cool, Mum. I loved it. I said, great. I said, how would have I liked, I'd liked it? He said, Mum, you would have hated it. And i say, why? And out of his mouth would come this incredible feminist analysis. But you know what? It was his mother's, not his. But really, he was sitting there with a dual brain of a 12-year-old enjoying watching the movie and of a 12-year-old deconstructing it from a feminist perspective. And as long as he could use argue at that age that it was his mother's analysis and not his, he was free to really go for it. So you've got to step 
back a little bit and let them have some freedom because you know what once you front loaded they come back they really do it gets absolutely melded into who they are and then they respect their own bodies they have a sense of themselves and you know what it's the opposite of boy hating as feminists boys are not doing well in this culture they are more likely to die of suicide they're more likely to die of risky behaviors that masculinity is not healthy for anyone not boys not girls not the planet nothing i mean there's just some sort of biological element that they're just ignoring so we are really helping i think bringing up a boy as a feminist is the biggest gift you can give to him absolutely I think him up in toxic masculinity, I think is terrible. And I feel so sorry for those poor little boys where you see their parents screaming at them, you know, to be more macho and more boyish. And these poor little boys don't fit into that mold. Most of them don't. They get squashed into it, not by the parents, by the culture, until they end up really kind of truncated human beings, really truncated, where their emotional life has been almost wiped off the map. You mentioned you and your husband raising your son together. And so, you know, we say all the time, like, you should focus on finding a high quality man. So yeah. that when you raise children together, you're Should. on the team and can do a great job of raising, you know, your kids together. So how did you, can you tell us how you met your husband? Like what, how did you vet for him? How did you vet him? Oh how did you my find God. How is this important to anything? It was an accident. Do you know what? I decided the goddess smiled on me that day. It was, a. I met, I remember me, he was, we were both 19 at university. And university? And the first thing I thought is he has the kindest face I've ever seen. And you know what? I was right. Fuck is a kind face. Five years later. I can say the same thing. He is the gentlest, kindest male. And he did not grow up in a pro-feminist family, believe me. His parents did not have him married to a radical feminist. That was not their idea of what their son should be married to. I mean, I imagine that didn't exist in the 50s. Nice Jewish girl who stays home and makes some chicken soup on a Friday night. You know, that was their image. Alas, he's the one who makes the chicken soup on a Friday night, you know. (laughs) Um, But it was an accident. But what was very interesting was when we were dating... He had the heart, oh. but he didn't have the cognitive understanding. I remember we were at a dinner party with friends. You know, we're in college, and we made these... This what have I done signing up for this experiment? Fancy dinner party once, and there was eight couples. What have I done? With very, you know, heterosexual, four men, four women. And halfway through the dinner, we noticed that we're the only ones left at the table. Well, the other three couples have gone to have sex, and we're fighting with each other over feminism. And everyone else oh. is having sex, and we are having this what? blazing argument about Because he didn't really get it in the beginning, although he felt it. And I turned around, and I said to him... Uh, his name's David. People know who he is. I don't mention my son's name, but I'll mention his name. And I said to him, David, if you want this relationship to go any further, then you have to agree that my civil rights are not up for negotiation and they were equal to yours. And he turned around and he said, God, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that was it. Finished. And he has been my rock. I mean, Guys will say anything to get laid, huh? We even he saw that the other couples were all having sex and then they're arguing. He goes, what, what's going on? He goes, what, what do I have to say to just get to the sex together he's a he's a professor of economics and his area is mainly in climate change but he's now become an expert in the porn industry and we write together on the business model of the porn industry aren't we all <laughs> so i don't think this is where he thought he'd be married to a woman who spends her life looking at porn either but it turns out he's been by my side the whole time and what's about a good man is they not only know when to be by your side they know to be, when to be in front of you and when to stand behind you they know oh that. god and i have to say you know i'm a radical feminist i do this work, you know, as you can tell, I don't, I don't sit on what I think, I'm in your um, face. And I don't know how I managed to get so lucky to be a radical feminist and end up with a man who actually completely supports me. He'd married a strong woman, not to destroy her, but to make her stronger, which is very unusual. Bags clock on here. There are, that, look, these men are not falling from the trees, let's be honest, right? But if you, and, and most men you are going to have to work with, you're not going to find... I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all you have to listen to this. I'm sorry for the life choices I've made. Who comes to you fully, you know, developed as a feminist and understanding but if you can work with them and you have to decide how much work you're willing to put in 
And if this is not somebody who's going to be in your life very long, then don't bother to spend it if you time. But if you think this is someone who's going to be in your life, let me tell you, those times that him and I did not have sex but stood across the table from each other arguing around feminism was so much more important than having sex. We could have plenty of sex later on. When we I'm sure that's what he felt as well. Yeah. Guys, definitely argue about feminism. Girls, argue about feminism. was making it clear, first and foremost, that if this is going to continue, these are the ground rules and they're non-negotiable. I have to say, I've seen a lot of uh, men start coming around on the porn issue, especially on Reddit. There's a, a growing community called r slash nofap. There's a lot of men who are now recognizing that porn has had a negative influence on their lives because I think for the last two generations who have grown up with the internet, a lot of them started watching porn at single digit ages. And so they've developed a dependency on it that it's now, you know, as they're getting older and, and they're starting to cognitively understand that it's uh, having a negative effect on them. I, I find this interesting because I think about 10 years ago, especially when your book came out, it was it was met with such backlash. Um, but now it seems like the ideas are starting to take hold in men. Have you noticed that trend? Yes, I've absolutely. Look, I think we've polarized. We've got those guys who are digging into their porn even more. And we've got those guys who are deciding this is not the way I want to live. I mean, really, the NoFap guys just got to the end of Pornhub and go, all right, that's all of them, huh? Certainly, that NoFap has got a huge amount of following. There's also Reboot Nation by Gabe Deem that has got a lot of followers. I think they're beginning to realize what porn is doing to them. But you know what the problem is? Is that the Women's Studies Academy has been hijacked by the pro-porn feminists. And really, this would be a place where men could learn, and women, of course, but let's talk about men at the moment, where men could learn about the harms of porn. And unfortunately, what they're doing is these folk feminists in the academy are giving them a pass to use porn in their sort of pro-porn positions. So I think that's, and I think these women are being so, these I was women told, are being so unfair to younger women who have to live with the fallout of men getting a past I was told that sex work is real work. That's the problem here. Use porn. And I want to give an example of this, if I may. So when Pornland oh. came out, and actually it was very interesting. I got a ton of people from the porn industry writing to me, telling me, God, you've got it so right. Let me tell you my story. I had tons of interviews following Pornland with um, people in the porn industry, the performers, the producers, the directors. But let me say something, a very interesting story. So it got selected at the Sydney Writers Festival in Australia. So I went out there, and I have to say, it was probably the hardest two weeks of my professional life. Hardest. Because the pro-porn lobby in Australia was waiting for me. And they followed me around to every single lecture, radio, and TV show I did. So the first thing um, I had to do was a, um, for the Writers' Festival was a gig talking about pornography. And they put me on a panel with four pro-porn women, some of them academics, and me. So God I was, and they, the worst one was the facilitator, right? So I was battling it out like crazy. And I, so there was four against one. And they were going on about how great Paul was and how empowering. Anyway, at one point, and this, now you have to just set the setting. There was over a thousand people in this room. I couldn't see out. There were so many. The spotlights were on us. All you got a sense of the energy of a thousand people. And at one point, this was, I think it was the facilitator, turned to me and said, Gail Dines, you've got no research. You've only got anecdotes. By the way, I had all the research with me, but it didn't matter. But she said, you've only got anecdotes. Anecdotes. I opened my mouth to start arguing about the research. And at the back of the room, I couldn't see a young woman stands up and says, I'm an anecdote, and then another one, and then suddenly the room is standing up with women screaming, I'm an anecdote, I'm an anecdote. What? Because these women had no clue what lives were like for young women, and the young women were fighting back, and it was a wonderful, wonderful moment to see that. That's, That's powerful. So powerful. Yeah, powerful. It was powerful to be a part of it and to see their rage. So All powerful. These women who were on so the fucking powerful. In their 40s and 50s, heterosexual, married, academic. They didn't know what life is like there for young women trying to navigate their way through this porn-filled culture. We've, we've captured a lot of that audience as part of uh, as part of female dating strategy, and that has been very yeah, you have queens covered in the media. What's up, and, queens? Uh, we've a lot of our support has come from um, somewhat conservative or at least moderate cultural critics, but like the 
the liberal side of it is all out attack on us, like all out attack on our criticisms of BDSM, all out attack on our criticism of porn in general. And uh, yeah, I can't help but feel that a lot of it comes from uh, just what you said is uh, there's two factions. There's the the older the, old, the older guard of feminists who just do not understand the ubiqui- ubiquitousness of porn culture, and they were even criticizing a lot of uh, millennials and Gen Z in our response to the Me Too movement because they felt like the things that we would bring up were like, oh, this isn't real assault, or like this is like a you're making a big deal of nothing. Yeah. Wow. 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 Of, yeah. Exactly. Wow. You don't understand that it's not even that it's just one incident. It's just the volume of incidents because of how ubiquitous it is in the culture now because of porn. It's not unusual to have guys like grab you, choke you, slap you you know, do pornify things. Totally not, they not don't understand. Mainstream now. Yeah. And so FDS has been integral in pushing back on that. But it, I mean, it does feel like we're up against a massive machine of both the media and academics. On this yeah, but also chicks like a lot of this stuff. That's another problem that you're up against is that a lot of chicks are into this shit. Can I just say? Maybe they came to be aware of this stuff via porn, but they are into it. I love you. Oh, thank you. I love you too, Gail. You are guys, doing such fantastic work. Guys, I love all of Honest you. God, you are- uh, guys, I love you. I love you all. You're doing hey, the girls. goddess's work here because so many young women think they're going nuts. You know, once this is over, I am going to spread the word about you everywhere because you are a lifesaver. Do you know, women come up to me saying this. <sighs> I'm so alone. I'm so, I, I didn't even know you existed. So I am going to be your biggest fans. I'm going to spread it everywhere I can. Because this is so important because I meet so many young women who are so isolated. But let me let me give a sort of international um, level here. This is very true of the United States and the United Kingdom. It is not true of Southern and South America, right? Let me explain why. I travel to Brazil. I've traveled to Colombia. I give lectures in Argentina. I go all over the globe. And what is astounding, I'm going to give you an example in Brazil. So I gave, I was in Brazil just, uh, I think, was it two years ago? Um, and... I did like lots of lectures and what was stunning to me was the radical feminist anti-porn came out in their droves all in their 20s, all in their 20s. They were normally in the United States and UK, it's older women. In the, and in one point when I was speaking what? in Sao Paulo, I put out on my Facebook that I'm in Sao Paulo, I've got this day free, I'm willing to do you know, a discussion with radical feminists wherever you are and we'll book a room. Do you know, we booked a room for 50. We had 250 turn up. So what? I flew into Sao Paulo and I'd say everyone in that room was under 30. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm so impressed All by. Right. A lot of our followers are from Latin America and I'm so proud of our sisters. <laughs> sisters in Latin America rising up who are, yeah, they're 20s and are radical feminists. And I'm like, that's amazing. Totally. You know, you know what it is in a way here? It's the ones who get access. Less than 20 minutes left, people. It's it's a grind, I know. This is like, I feel like I'm fucking training for a triathlon or some shit. If we get to 150 likes, we have less than 20 minutes. I'll give away another channel membership. Is it a good thing? I don't even know. I don't even know anymore. The media and get heard tend to be the more privileged. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that's where you... Oh, I hate privilege. ...is that they're speaking from their own life experiences. They have not got the... I don't know whether it's the theoretical understanding or the lived experience, but to understand that how you experience life, even if you are in your 30s and 40s and have navigated your way through the porn culture, that means shit for the average 20-odd-year-old who has got to deal with these guys. And I, I don't know what's missing here is why these older women who have, you know, often are not even dating or have got uh, with somebody, why are they putting young women in this terrible situation and not having yes. an ounce of empathy? Because women's fault. Students, you know, just what it was like out there. What a nightmare. And how many of them would tell me about? They start by saying they had a bad night last night. Didn't go well. Turns out it was they'd been raped. You know, but they, yeah, they didn't want to turn that. And and once women understood, women have been on the same uh, college for over thirty years. And crime. my door was constantly open because why? Women who I didn't even teach at the college would come to me with their rape stories because at last somebody would listen to them. 
and not think it's your fault because you got drunk or it's your fault because you went to the room with him. And sometimes, you know, I would actually have a line outside of my office with young women um, wanting to do intakes at the Rape Crisis Centre on my office phone because they didn't want to do it on their own. I mean, that's how what? bad it was. And I am so angry Yikes. at these older women and some of the third wave younger feminists who have completely thrown their sisters under the bus and their daughters under the bus. Yeah, we call these liberal fairy tales where oh, it's... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> liberal fairy tales. That's a phrase we use a lot. I mean, you know what? They make some points. You know, the, as much as you can't stay and listen to them, they make some points. They're talking about this theoretical, like, academic, if we lived in a perfect world where everyone was consenting and everyone was fair and there were no misogynists and blah, 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 blah. But the thing is, is we don't fucking live in that world, okay? The reality Correct. on the ground for women is completely different. And so many of what these academics... And, like, I mean, I went to university too, right? Like, I, you know... I, I like, I'm not, uh, it's not like, oh, stupid women or uneducated women are, are uh, you know, anti-porn or something. I don't know. Like, they've created this weird thing where, like, oh, if you're a real what? intellectual like me, you're pro-porn or you're, you know, do this and that, right? And so if you don't agree with me, you're not an intellectual or something. I don't know. So, so but we call these liberal fairy tales where they, you know, they're talking about a world that, you know, if everything was great and perfect, then it would work, maybe. But we don't live in that world. And so we have to interact yes, with the world as correct. it is right now. Totally. Yeah, and they, and they they do ignore the working class a lot. And that's actually been another criticism we've had is that, like, uh, they they live in a world where their idea of equality is based on a white-collar uh, workforce mm-hmm. versus, mm-hmm. you know, for people who are in blue and pink-collar jobs in which, like, gender negotiations are way more complicated and the idea of equity is a little bit more complicated because you're not dealing with a person that's working the same kind of, you know, with, with blue collar work, it's, you know, it privileges male physical strength with pink collar work. It tends to privilege oh, women God, working we're almost uh, in there, people. more caretaking mm-hmm. professions. 14 so, more likes, kind of, 14 more likes. I'll give away another membership. Kinds of women exist and it, it does feel oh, like they God. flat out ignore what have I that done? to have this like fairy tale idea of perfect gender, like gender neutral, gender balance, gender equality and sexual equality that just does not play out for women who don't work in these very privileged, very niche places. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and can I add to that? It's really interesting because we about the academy. Because I have to say, the worst places to go to try and give over analysis of uh, porn as violence against women is the Ivies and the top colleges. If I'm going to a community college in Iowa or Idaho or even in Massachusetts, oh, you don't get this pro-porn position. It's really the Ivies where it comes at you the most. Oh, the Ivies. Again, yeah, it's because, oh, yeah, they're the super, they think they're smarter than everybody and then they're all super liberal and they're all trying to out-liberal each other. I mean, like, yeah, porn's sick, sex work is real work, all that nonsense. Colleges where you've got, you know, many working-class women. And remember one thing, you know, working-class women need to be much street smarter. Money buys you the privilege to be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point that's a good point if you've got a lot of but money, then you'll lose that money and then you'll go back to being you can fucked. buy you don't need to know how to do things because you, you, you pay people to do them for you whereas if you need to do everything on your own you know you cannot afford not to be realistic have your eyes wide open and be strategic about how you live your life because life is so difficult so I think that's a critical part here. and sometimes often when I'll go to a you know Ivy University and I get a really particularly stupid awful question I think to myself You've got to have a PhD to ask such a question. You know, only a PhD can ask that question. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my God. We were saying the same thing. Why are PhD people so fucking stupid? Because you're taught not to feel. You're taught. You're t- and also remember Ooh, to get a job. Interesting. You, have to, you cannot get published if you're anti poor. It's almost impossible to get published. So what happens is, I mean, I would not. If I was now going on the job market, I would These chicks are super base sometimes. I would get a job with my politics. A left 
anti-porn radical feminists, forget it. So today what's happened is you can't get published. Publication is your seat to tenure. Um, you are excluded from the academy. You are ridiculed. The very way you cannot do your work, basically. So what you see is... These chicks are going to hate Leah Thomas. I think a lot of women crumbling or those who are anti-porn, and I understand this, stay quiet because they, this is their livelihood. They need to get tenure or keep their job. So, you know, the academy has really become a kind of policing uh. institution for this kind of thing. Yeah, I had so many issues with that when I was in, in school as well, where, you know, oh, we're a campus of, you know, free ideas and free thought and stuff. But really, in reality, there's only a very narrow set of ideas that, you know. What are you fucking taking this out of the Jordan Peterson handbook? And, and, and I learned it very early on in school. If I wanted to get good grades, I had to just regurgitate whatever the professor was saying. Well, that's outrageous. That's outrageous. You know, because I was that's outrageous. That's outrageous. But you have to make really good arguments if you disagree and bring up the research. But nobody gets brownie points in my class for agreeing with me. You get brownie points for making good, solid scientific and theoretical arguments so that you become a thinker and a critic you know and i had some students not many because after taking a class with me most of them were anti-porn but i had a few who still were and that was fine as long as they could make arguments for it and you know that was okay but you really want to create free thinking intellectuals who have the courage to go against the hegemonic thinking that's really what that's really what progressive pedagogy is is you bring up the hegemony the dominant ideology you give them the tools to deconstruct it and think of a counter hegemonic discourse I honestly think uh, that even even outside of academia, academia is because so much of the media hires from the same kinds of schools and the same kinds of thinkers that a lot of times we we see um, magazines that are geared towards young women that often have young women writing for them, but they're re regurgitating the same kinds of ideas that you'll hear at a lot of like Ivy liberal arts colleges because they know they won't get hired as a journalist or, uh, you know, the pro porn lobby is always uh, a lucrative uh, advertising oh, market. It's so powerful. Like, right, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, you know what else is very interesting because I deal with the media all the time and I have to say, you know, when I have time. A bunch of liars, the media. With all right, we're almost done here. Women, 10 more and minutes. Talk, and then they saw 13 more likes. I, I almost caused a mini revolution at Cosmopolitan. Oh my gosh, tell us this story. Oh my gosh, tell us this story. <laughs> kill me. So I'm not Just kill me. Things, but there was a group, there was one woman particularly who was uh, young but really felt that porn wasn't okay. And we spent a long time in the interview. She brought others on. So they formed a little group to start putting in anti-porn um, stuff in. And this was a few years ago. Now, I haven't seen them lately. I wonder if they got fired, but they were writing to me and I was helping them figure out stories and stuff about how to get it in, in, in ways that it would be sort of, it would look, it would be on the download kind of thing, but at least they would get anti-porn. And they were great. And they were so frustrated with Cosmopolitan, let me tell you. But they, you know, they have, these are top jobs when you're looking to be a journalist. I've even had, you know, one of the worst is Vice magazine. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I love, that's the one thing. The one thing I never thought that I would have in common with these chicks is their hatred. Oh, oh my god <laughs> right. they must hate you right they hate me they hate us oh yeah but you know what's really interesting i've got a bunch of scrotes and i have helped them figure out ways so I, there's been a few articles in vice where i've sort of taken a more marxist critical approach to the porn industry and this has really interested a few of the journalists so there's some you can get hold of so i mean and then i get the journalists who call up and say, so Gail Dines, um, you're an anti-porn uh, Christian uh, book burner, uh, right-winger. And I say, well, actually, Jewish. I'm a left-wing radical feminist Jew, so you've got Jew? things wrong. Jewish? They slam the phone down on me. 
they literally the phone goes because they realize now they haven't got me in that little place they want to put me i'm dying you know, I, 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 you know i did my phd on the marxist theory of culture applied to pornography how are you going to put me in the right wing book burning? Plus, you know, I'm Jewish. Jews do not tend to have an issue around sex, right? We have lots of issues, believe me. We're very neurotic people, but we do not tend to be that neurotic around sex, okay? So, I mean, they, they can't... It's kind of true. They can't pigeonhole you to get rid of you. Really, sometimes the phone is literally slammed down on me. I love a good Marxist analysis, so thank you so much for that, yeah. Well, you can't you can't understand porn without understanding Marxist analysis of capitalism. It's yeah, it's like, it's weird. These chicks are, like, loving, I mean, probably that, have more in common with Jordan Peterson than Vice. That's where, sort of, my husband and I really write about, is to understanding the role of capitalism in pushing forward the porn industry and the way that porn is actually capitalism par excellence, right? You, you know, Marx said, so interestingly, you know, like, during the Industrial Revolution, I don't know how he understood this, but he said, capitalism will sink into every single nook and cranny of your life life. How did he know that then? And now here we have the most private, intimate parts of our life, our sexuality, commodified by patriarchal capitalism. How did he know that was going to happen? Brilliant. You know, you read Marx and you think, this guy had like, he must have had a crystal ball into the future. Because I don't know how he understood what was going to happen. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I also, I want to Good ask point, about, I guess. you know, on the topic of like academia, one of the, okay, the we're getting, we're, we're almost there. Is, you know, this, oh, being nine more likes. Free speech. And that, like, if you care about free speech, you should you should be fine with porn or something along that those lines. Like, so what's the, how do you counter the free speech argument? Well, I don't. I say I completely believe in free speech, which is why I don't think that the pornographers should have stolen the speech around sexuality and and, and relationships. Who's who has stolen the narrative here? Who is the dominant um, partner in writing the narrative about sex in our culture? It's the porn industry using its billion dollars to shut us all down. I wish I had free speech. I would love free speech. Okay, I want as much speech as the pornographers have. Get, then we've got free speech. They you use, start making porn, and then maybe people will listen. That argument because those with free speech shut us up by putting us by making us silent because we don't have the dollars. Speech is not free. It is the most expensive commodity you can buy. Look, we can do shows like this, which are great, but I can't get into the New York Times. I can't get the same reach as Pornhub. That takes money. So I would say... Let's or porn. Put your money where your mouth is and give us free speech. Give us the reach. Because when you say free speech, you don't mean the freedom to speak. You mean the capacity to be heard. And nobody gets heard like the porn industry. Yes. Yeah. Professor Dines. Because they got titties. To circle back quickly and ask, because I'm like, Lilith touched on the fact that liberal feminists tend to live in a bit of a dream world and not really see the world as it is. Um, so if we accept that porn has infiltrated society, um, even women who are anti-porn um, you know, have been affected somewhat by um, the presence of the porn industry. How do you think we can navigate as women, um, you know, and also men as well? How can we navigate um, a world that is, you know, full of porn that is, you know, with all the with all the um, like positive like messaging around porn? How can we navigate? Holy that, shit! Um, and develop We're healthy there. relationships with ourselves and our sexuality. Six more well, minutes. The answer, of course, is a feminist revolution, radical feminism. <laughs> That's what we need is a feminist revolution. But that's not going to happen tomorrow, okay? And meanwhile, we have six minutes to give me seven more likes, otherwise, and I'll give away the free membership. You have go. to live in this world. There's got to be okay. six of you. So, seven first of I would you. say, absolutely, we have to reboot radical feminism until it becomes the major form of feminism. No question. But meanwhile, the really question is why are we doing this work? And this These chicks don't like trans people, I promise you that much. Collective action. How are young women going to live in a world where they do want to be partnered? They want someone to love and, for the, and you know, them to love somebody and that person love them. I get that. So I think, first of all, shows like yours are absolutely crucial, which is why I'm going to advertise the hell out of not just this show, but other ones. But I think one of the things that we said is that you look for the few good men out there 
and you're going to have to really train them into this. And if they put train them like the seals that they are and do that. But, you know, in a way, the question you're asking me is like, how do I avoid polluted air? You can't. That's why we need, you know, a governmental organization. Re-education camps, isn't it? You know, kind of a joke, but to cut down pollution. You can't do this alone. And it breaks my heart to not be able to say, here's the 10 easy steps to do this. Because I know the pain that women are in. And I know the frustrations. And I know, because I saw it day in, day out in my classes, you know. And I felt so much for these young women. It was so painful to hear their stories. So, I mean, I think I'm looking to people like you to say this. Is that maybe let's try and think about your program, doing websites, having uh, Facebook pages where we can be of support, where women have questions about how to <sighs> my boyfriend to stop using porn. And if we say, you know, if you've talked about it, get rid of him. Women need to get a reality check because this is one big mass gaslighting society. And you already think you're going mad because the guy that you're having sex with said, you know, my last girlfriend loved it up the ass. What's wrong with you? You've got your academics saying this. You've got the media saying this. I mean, I'm amazed that young women stay sane in this world. Given what They're not. They're all crazy coming at them and this is what makes me the most upset and the most crazy you know feminism was fought for by our foremothers they really did and now my generation oh, is that there. generation and we have an obligation sweet, to our sweet daughters relief. to make this world a livable place and i think we have sold you short we have completely sold you short someone gave a dislike so now we're down we need eight and more i just wish i had the answer because i know what life is like but the only thing i can say to women is you know Read as much as you can from the anti-porn feminist position and never sell yourself short. Never settle. You are too important. You are too precious. And you Kill deserve me. more. Oh, another dislike. All right. guy who's not going to treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. Absolutely not. And you know what? One day you will look in the mirror if you do that and you'll say, who have I become and who am I? Please don't do that to yourself. Who am I? Thank you so much. Who am I? Do you have anything that you'd like to uh, plug or promote on oh, podcast before I do our outro? Or... God. Oh, we, we forgot to add about, ask about culture reframe. Oh, right. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. No, that's what more. I great. Parents asking us all the time, like, they're horrified when they find our subreddit and are terrified of what is, you know, how do I, how do I protect my daughter? How do I? Well, we've got the answer. This is one thing we do have some answers to. So we started four years ago. In these four years, we have built the, the only programs in the world that helps parents teach their children to be... Guys, if I was just coming on this stream, I would dislike it too, but we're six likes. Poor, resilient, and resistant. This is built by multi um, by a multidisciplinary team of pediatricians, nurses, sex health experts, um, sociologists... Um, parent advisors oh. it's built for parents we've got two one for parents of tweens one for parents of teens you can go in for five minutes to each one five hours five days it's chock full of great stuff it's accessible it's free we made it free because we wanted to make sure that any parent irrespective of socioeconomic background could afford it and go in there we've got as much of what we're teaching you sounds like re-education step by step is how to have these conversations what we say to parents is you do not have 100 minute conversations three likes away one minute conversations and we've even got scripts on what to have we've laid out the scripts from you kid you kid you kid and we assume that your kid would rather be anywhere else in the world than speaking to you about pornography so we've even got second scripts that tell you if it goes bad how to come back to it so we lay out the groundwork what how to set the scene we have thing a model called composure so if you feel it's, you're getting aggravated, shut the conversation down, go and read the 
crit the culture reframe, compose yourself, oh my calm God. yourself down, go back and do a do-over, and we say, above all, never shame or blame your kid. If you want to shame and blame anyone, you shame and blame the porn industry, you shame and blame the culture that has allowed this to happen. And the the porn culture's fault. To hijack our kids. So this is We're almost parents. there. And We're almost done. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. It's been peer-reviewed over and over again, and it is accessible. Fucking wrap it up! You can show your kids, you can sit with Holy so shit! One like away! Who is going to be the like? It's now being translated. It's been translated into Turkish. We're talking with people to Turkish, to Spanish, Portuguese. It's being used in Sweden, Norway, Sweden, Iceland, Brazil, oh, Turkey, South America, everywhere you go. And it's this being used by also because it's so hating me. By doctors, this is painful. Nurses, We're one like away. And in October the second and third, and everyone should mark the calendar. Yay! We are doing the first. We did it, everybody. Zoom conference on how to teach sex ed. We did it. We did it. I'm gonna put that. We get 150 <laughs> likes. Yeah, we'd love to have you. We'd actually, you know what? Shout we'd out to Alejandro. To do a workshop. Would you do that? Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm putting. No. Right. We'll get in touch after this because I think what you could talk about would be so important in your experiences. No. So I'm be down for a workshop. So for everyone listening. No out, more workshops. This is the first ever conference where we are going to look at. Jeremy Rose Coffee. Basics. Shout out. He got the gifted membership. Congrats, a, Jeremy Rose Coffee. Everyone's teaching sex ed as if we're living in the 20th century. We don't. We live in a society which is porn -filled. Oh, God. By the time kids get to sex ed, if they ever do, they've already got their sexual template formed by porn. So how do we teach sex ed in the real world right now in a pornified culture? So we've got speakers from all over. Porn! That's how we do it. With just better porn. You make better porn. It's the better mousetrap. We're going to have breakout sessions. It's going to be fun. Oh. So, and you're speaking. I forget that they're, they're, we're on a one and a quarter. That explains a little bit much. They seem this more powerful because so one and a quarter yeah, speech is so really more. Yeah. This was oh, man. I have to say, this was such fun. What can I say? It was just wonderful. What can I say? I want to applaud you for your this work. This is fun. Really. Guys, this is not fucking fun for me. You've made my day. I mean, I got this email from somebody I'd never heard of before and thought, you know, I'll do it. Well, I'm so happy I did it because you're doing the most wonderful work and you're, you're keeping so many young women sane. Do you know that? It's fantastic. Well, That's you're making me crazy, so double mission accomplished. Your work. Thank you so much, Professor Dines. You well, call me gay, so please. You're on first name. <laughs> call me gay. <laughs> call me gay. I don't know. In Britain, like no, some, I, I mean, like some, like um, academics get really uppity about titles. I don't know. So oh no, I never allow my students to call myself Professor or Dad. That puts a barrier between you and them. You see, I hate that. Yeah, but England's more formal. We both know that. I've we both know that. Thirty odd years, so I've become less formal. You know, I England still miss, is more way, formal. Um, sticky toffee pudding. Oh my gosh, yes, I I've had that today with um, some good ice cream. Do you not have it? in You guys already ate sticky toffee pudding. Anybody else eating sticky toffee pudding in it? In the states? No. No. And I, oh my gosh! I'll send. Oh, it's fantastic. I'll send, I'll send you some. Send me some sticky toffee pudding. It's just a bunch of fucking bad tooth people being like, "We like our sweets in it." Hey, well, I'll send you some. I was just about to say. <laughs> send me some sticky this, toffee sticky pudding. I'll send you some. I'll send you some. I'll mail it to you. That's such. Oh. That's so unfortunate. Well, I'll, look, I'll look forward to it. Believe me. I'll it's the patriarchy is why there's no sticky and toffee Joe, pudding. Check out. Our oh, thank God. That's it, everybody. That was grueling. I feel like I just ran a marathon. Oh my god, sticky toffee pudding is really good. Okay, that has been, <laughs> that's been the stream. Honestly, if you are here from the beginning, you are a fucking animal. We're two and a half hours. If you've been here since the beginning of this, shout out to you because you are a, an, a beast. You are living life on beast mode. Thank you, everybody. Uh, shout out to Alejandro for the other super chat he gave me. He says, what I got from the stream was that porn and misogyny is anti-commie culture. Also, my sister's nickname is pronounced Donnie. At least that's how I say it. Shout out to everybody. Um, 
who like the stream, who watch the stream. Thank you to the new members uh, and congratulations to the those of you who got new memberships. I'm sorry for my allergies. All, I'm going to take my allergy medication next time because I'm sure it's not lovely for me to be fucking wiping my nose and sniffling the whole time. But that is the life of a Jew myself. Anyways, thanks very much, everybody. If you want to support the show, you can either by joining the thing or signing up at patreon.com slash low value mail. And there's T-shirts. If you want a low-value mail T-shirt. And by the way, if you sign up for a Scrote membership for either the channel or the uh, Patreon, you get 20% off the T-shirt, which is 5 bucks, which is the cost of a month. So just sign up for a month. And if, if you're going to buy a T-shirt, sign up. Get the essentially a free month if you just sign up for the T-shirt. Anyways, uh, there's the promo code in the Patreon, patreon.com slash low-value mail, or just hit me up. Anyways. LowValleyMail.com for t-shirts. I got to go. Going to do some Boys Cast episodes. Thank you, everybody. You have been the best. Until next time, I might kill myself, and there might never be another stream because this was fucking a lot. Later, queens. Rip Queen Elizabeth II. Peace out. Bye.